about the Bucks Super Bowl win, how they got there, and what they need to do to repeat. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, bud. Thanks for having me on here. Glad to have you on. The reason I wanted to have Ryan on, folks, is Ryan is the only known Bucks fan in the state of Arizona. So uh, I thought it would be really cool. You know, a lot of us who aren't Bucks fans, we see Tom Brady and we think, Oh, that was the missing key, but there's a lot from the outside that is not known. What what was the biggest addition outside of Tom Brady to you that made the most difference? Uh, to be honest, let's see here. Um, you can't understate uh, Gronk's... Uh, I know he seems kind of um, uh, just goofy, and uh, I know we had the reports of the offseason, whatever. He's great. Great blocking for the, for the tight ends. We have a good tight end room, especially when O.J. Howard went down. Um, can, can, I, can I say through the draft, uh, uh, Tristan Wirfs, uh, that right tackle, um, I'm, I'm, I'm always the pessimist Bucks fan. You know, it's funny, leading up to the Super Bowl when uh, we beat Green Bay and I'm wearing my Bucks ge- uh, gear all throughout the, the week leading up to the Super Bowl, people are like, have you always been a Buccaneers fan? I said, no, just, just since Tom Brady joined him, you know. <laughs> I don't know the, the years of uh, suffering and just uh, uh, mental anguish this team has done on me throughout the years. And um, I, I, I haven't been a former offensive lineman in high school. I love watching line play. I love watching um, the trenches and, and whatnot. And I was just so skippy that not only did we draft an offensive tackle in last year's draft, um, we moved up one spot to get uh, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, and when you're setting weightlifting records in a proud uh, hog molly uh, program like like the University of Iowa Hawk- Hawkeyes, I, I didn't see too much tape on him, but he was my favorite tackle in the draft um, out of the top four that they were talking about, and I think that kind of proved outside of Mekhi Becton. Um, he just held it down, man. Um, run blocking, pass blocking. I don't think I think he gave up one sack in the uh, last half of the season and the and the playoffs. Um, just just really happy with our organization and happy that we wanted to protect our most valuable asset, which you said was Tom. Well, I'm glad you brought up Tristan Wirfs because I think you have to start with the way they drafted in in this draft. Tristan Wirfs, his st- uh, oh, overall stats for the 20 games, including the playoffs. First of all, he did not miss a single offensive snap all season long, played all 1,280 snaps. He had one penalty since week five. Out of 799 pass-blocking snaps, he allowed one sack. Just a monster. He is hands down the best offensive tackle from this draft class. And the biggest thing I wanted to talk about was a lot of people will say, oh, from last season – the biggest thing you needed to take care of was Jameis. Jameis turned the ball over like nobody's business. It was like 
touchdown, interception, touchdown, interception. A lot of people will say over the last four games of the season, he threw more touchdown passes on pick sixes than for his own team. Yeah. yeah. But I was looking at the numbers from this season compared to last season. Last season and this season, you still finished third in overall offense. Mm -hmm. The offense wasn't the issue. Mm -hmm. The turnovers were a huge issue. But the biggest difference you guys made was your defense. Mm -hmm. That season with last season with Winston, you finished 29th in total defense. This year, you finished eighth in total defense. I don't think you can put enough emphasis on what a huge pickup Antoine Winfield was in the draft. Antoine Winfield, as well as his, uh, I believe Tyler Johnson went to Minnesota as well. Um, just uh, great additions. Antoine Winfield has the uh, the pedigree. Um, I remember watching his dad play um, as a short man myself, the short man brotherhood. I loved watching him play uh, on the corner, and he would he would not just cover, be opportunistic, but but he um he, he always helped him run support and. Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, playing that safety position, he's still got that dog. He's he's like a ball hawk, man. He's he's uh, all around the field. Um, Tyler Johnson, he, you know, he may not have had more than uh, what twenty catches on the season, but um, he always was clutch when when um, teams are covering Godwin, uh, uh, Mike Evans, Gronk, uh, maybe even AB for a little bit. Um, if Scotty Miller's not on the field, Tyler Johnson. You know, uh, inconsistent in a rookie season, but but definitely he, he produced to help us get to where we are. Um, just just uh, I our, our draft last year was was very very nice. And that's something that I think you can't understate enough is the impact Bruce Arians has had not only on the field but in the, in the front office behind the scenes. He has a lot of say in what goes on, the kind of personnel he wants to bring in. But the biggest thing also is. As I was saying last week on the show, he put his trust in Tom Brady. Mm. He said from day one, we want you to feel comfortable. We trust you. I want. We, we basically want to do what you want to do, which is why they brought in guys like Gronk, like Antonio Brown. Mm. Tom Brady wanted Leonard Fournette. They got Leonard Fournette. Yeah, that's. I, I really love uh, Leonard Fournette's uh, game. Um, I've always been somewhat bullish on uh, Rojo, and, and I think having... Um, both of those men spell each other and, and they, they, there's no selfishness amongst them. Um, they, they, they love having the touches that are giving, given them. And I, I love how Rojo's got some deceptive power and Lenny's got some deceptive shake and bake and, and put them together. And it's, it's just a nice, uh, uh, two headed monster. Um, I wish we would have kind of, um, uh, gave gave like a little freshman course to Keyshawn Vaughn a little bit more than um, we had. Um, LaShawn McCoy obviously looks like, I think he's going to retire. If not, um, he, his touches have gone way down. He's very injury prone. Um, but but after those first couple uh, games in, in last season, I think Tom really got into the heads like, hey, make the best of your opportunities. I believe uh, Leonard Fournette had a touchdown catch against the Saints or the, the Washington football team. I believe it was the Saints, but... You know, once it comes to crunch time, it, you you saw a lot less drops and a lot of um, opportunities and plays being made, and and I think that is a big Tom factor and 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 Bruce Arians' uh, uh, experience with deep playoff runs and whatever. We're just as a Buccaneers organization, man, we're just not used to that success. I was very hesitant about our team going into the playoffs, especially after that Washington win of. 
how do we handle the biggest situations and how will we handle the, the, this kind of grander stages and uh, I, I'm still shaking from it. I still can't believe it. I'm still wondering if there's time on the clock and Pat Mahomes has another chance, man. <laughs> well, with that being said, I don't want to toot my own horn or anything like that, but would you care to tell everyone what it is you said to me as soon as the Bucks sealed a Super Bowl win? I go up to Tommy, and um, Tommy's like my only guy um, at the party that we were at, and uh, he'll attest to it. Um, people are just like dogging me. They're like, you know you can celebrate right now. There's four minutes on the clock. I saw what happened last year. Super Bowl. I know. I know who's across the field. That's that's Pat. That's Patty Mahomes, man. And um, once it went zero zero, I just go up to Tommy. I said, "You came to me in March of last year. I remember it vividly. We were at a pizzeria downtown, and uh, and I'm still being the the sad sap that I am. Just 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 whip dog, and and uh, and I'm going out, man." Being the Buccaneers, Tom's gonna get. He's gonna realize quick. This ain't the Patriots, and we're 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 gonna we're gonna get him hurt the first game of the season. And Tom goes, just watch, just watch this man do his thing, and, and greatness occur. And just always kind of hesitant, always kind of like, oh, I'm wondering when the shoes other oh, shoes gonna drop. And I went straight up to him afterwards and said, thank you for that guarantee, baby. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna lie to you. When COVID hit hard, and we found out there were gonna be no OTAs, no preseason, all that. I was a little worried thinking we have a 43-year-old quarterback in a new system and it, he's going to struggle. And, you know, they did. They did struggle through the first – a little more than halfway through the season. In a new and, climate. In a new <laughs> climate. Tom Brady's never played in warm weather since high school. Wait, his, his only warm weather game of the year prior was against the Jags. And they they shook him. They they he looked terrible in that game. When he goes down to Miami early early seasons, he don't look good. And everything. This, this is an amazing Super Bowl win. I, I know people want to look at the score and the game and say it's just terrible, terrible, terrible. For what he did without those off season trainings, without those those repetitions in practice, getting a feel for his guys. Pretty much first half half the season was our practice run, and I said it. Uh, us, us and the Panthers having the latest bye in the regular season is the best thing that could have happened to us. You saw what happened with the Steelers when they were on the run and they had the early bye because of all the COVID issues. I think it was the Tennessee week and whatever. And it was just wearing on them. Like they, they had that chip on their shoulder, that, that lunch pail mentality. But there's only so much. But having that bye week and, and having Tom rest up a little bit and, and the, the familiarity and whatever, it's just amazing that, that our offense looked – as good as it did, and, and I think it'd be even better next year. And you brought up a really good point, you, a couple of good points. I'm going to get to the second one here in just a second, but you brought up Pittsburgh. I think, so when Bruce Arians was the coach here in Arizona, he caught a lot of criticism for maybe giving veteran players too much practice time off. And I think this year, because with Pittsburgh, you saw the injuries just started piling up and... They just couldn't carry that early season momentum to the end of the season, nor in the playoffs. I think Brady, being the older player that he is, with a coach like Bruce Arians, who's going to say, you, you, you know, you know your body, you're going to work as hard as you're going to work, but I know you're going to bring it on Sundays to the best of your. I, I think that has to play into some sort of factor here, especially in a season like we just had to where. You know, especially at the beginning of the season, no preseason, no OTAs. Guys were tearing ACLs, getting injured left and right. Oh, there's a lot of injuries to big-time players this year, big-time, yeah. Uh, Saquon, um, I, 
I can't think of uh, uh, any off the top of my head Nick right Bosa. now. Nick Bosa. Oh, my God. Yes, yes, yes. 49ers were just... Decimated. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to give a disclaimer. I think Bill Belichick's the best coach in, in uh, all of NFL history. And um, Bruce Arians is like the anti-Bill uh, Belichick. Of um, I heard a story this week of him going to Gronk and being like... You do. You, you you let me know. You know we know Gronk is, you know puts his body on the line. I think there was uh, the 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 Rams Super Bowl. He was injured, but he made that play at the end. I think the Falcons Super Bowl. He was just entirely out. He was out that entire he, season. Out in the entire season, and uh, Bruce just goes up to him and said, the middle, middle of the season, just says, let me know which days you want off. And that's a that's a far cry. And I think I think this is where the good blend of science and uh, sports science is coming in. Not so much in like analytics, like like um, the the mental part of it, but but really being smart about player tracking and, and these tracking devices they have on players, kind of knowing what their loads are and whatever. And it's and Tom's greatest gift is availability. So why not apply that to as many people as you can? We were looking a little um, shaky for how many injuries we're looking for uh, the the Super Bowl. And guys just kind of coming back. Um, you saw Jordan Whitehead. He's he's putting his body on the line. He's he, he's coming up sticking Kelsey, the running backs and whatever. And he's got a shoulder popped out. Antoine Winfield was a little bit banged up. Um, I, I think Devin White had COVID for the Washington game. And, and guys just kind of coming together. I, I think we had a, a pretty clean uh, uh, roster going into the Super Bowl. And you got to you gotta chalk that up to Bruce and, and the team and, and, and him trusting his staff. Him, tr- You know, I... I can I say, I'm, I'm a little off topic here, but for the one game where I was as full head of, of just anger as I could be was the second Saints game, where we set an NFL record for lowest amount of rushing attempts in a game. And me being a, 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 a former left guard, I'm like, how the heck are you going to help that 43-year-old out? And I'm seeing Bruce... Uh, around like January when teams are out and, and they're and you know you got teams like the Texans looking for anybody that they can and Bruce is like he's not talking to Eric Bieniemy or like those big names he's like how can Byron Leftwich ain't get in a call I know Todd Bowles has the NFL experience we all love Todd the the exoticism with the blitzes and the whatever but he was talking about Byron Leftwich I was like that man and and every game I was like he better run that ball he better didn't. We ran that ball. We had that balance. We had that play action. So I, I have to, I have to uh, make amends to Byron Leftwich and say, just job well done, bud. Just, just wait. And Bruce, way to, way to, way to not have control issues and just delegate and just, just, just be a great head coach this year. And I think that's another reason why Tom Brady and Bruce Arians are a good quarterback coach combo is because they have a lot in common as far as. They bring. They brought in people that they trust. A lot of people who aren't too familiar with the history of Bruce Arians. By- Byron Leftwich was the quarterbacks coach in Arizona when Bruce Arians was the head coach. Todd Bowles was the defensive coordinator in Arizona before he got the head coach job in the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. Many of his assistants were assistants of his when he was in Arizona. And I know a lot of coaches, when they get new jobs and whatnot, they'll bring in people that they're familiar with and whatnot. But Bruce Arians is loyal to his guys to the core. When he first retired from Arizona, he was, uh, it, it was, uh, I'm trying to think, he be, ended up becoming uh, the defensive coordinator for the New York Giants. Uh, James Betcher. James mm-hmm. Betcher, mm-hmm. he was very high on him getting the head coaching job before they ended up hiring Steve Wilkes. And I'm sorry to say, uh, 
James Betcher probably would have been a better coach than Steve Wilkes would have, but the loyalty those two show to their guys is just, it's unmatched whatsoever. And you brought up a name that I think everyone knew who who Devin White was. Everyone was very high on Devin White, but due to what he did in the regular season and the incredible playoff run he had, do you think it's far-fetched to think Devin White may be one of the better defensive players in football? I think Devin White is going to make a name for himself. I I wholeheartedly love the um, the NFL Top 100 list on the NFL Network where the players vote, and I put a lot of stock into that. I wish they would have more offensive linemen and linebackers represented. Um, I'm I've always I'm always a big uh, uh, Bobby Wagner fan, and I think with the athleticism, did you see Devin White pick off Drew Brees in the divisional game and give a stiff arm and look fluid? Right, he should have been a running back, you know. And and uh, I I think that um, Devin White having just a fantastic life lifer Buccaneer. I, the, the two the two people I was so happy for. Well, I love Ndamukong Sue, and I think he's put his time in. He tried to get that ring with the Rams. I love Sue to death. You know, I know people will, will look on the outside, say his character and, and whatever, stomping on Rodgers. You know, his feet were a little bit numb. It's okay. But um, the lifer Buccaneers, Mike Evans and Levante David. Levante David is such an understated beast for a weak side linebacker and for sticking it through all the all the rough years, even the pre-Jameis years now, those, those are even worse so. But being a beast, his coverage on Kelsey was so dynamic. He had a couple passes defense, nothing special, no, no, no splash play of making the pick or, or whatever, but, but getting his paw in there and, and just having a pass break up disrupt that Kansas City rhythm. And for him to be a veteran... And, and on top of that, a, a, a very underrated linebacker to kind of mentor Devin White, even though he plays that middle. Um, it just I think Devin White is going to be in, in, in cahoots for like maybe top three, even top two linebackers next year, if he's not the best. Um, just, just a very fantastic linebacker. I agree 100%. A uh, couple more questions for you before we let you go. So we talked about possibly – repeating next year what needs to be done who who stays who goes and what do you look to upgrade in the draft or free agency i think we have a crap ton of free agents right now um i think you have to keep levante david just for that continuity and having that that buccaneers kind of uh mold and or from an organizational standpoint just just the culture um I don't see him as somebody who's going to demand a lot of money. From what I'm hearing, it looks like Chris Godwin wants to be paid like a number one receiver. We have an embarrassment of riches at receiver. I hope he can take a deal because he he's built like a number one. He's a great compliment to Mike Evans. Um, it looks like he may uh, uh, be the odd man out with just... He deserves to get paid. I don't think everybody's going to take a team-oriented deal, monetary-wise, to repeat and keep this thing going. I think you have to keep players, as well as Shaq Barrett. Um, Shaq Barrett played very well for having his, uh, I believe, 20-sack season last year, somewhere up there, high teens, um, and he held up against the run. Yeah, It's funny watching the uh, 
the layout of the defense, it's pretty much the two big boys in the middle, and then everybody else is considered a linebacker. They're considering JPP a linebacker. They're considering Shaq Barrett a linebacker. JPP undefeated un, uh, in his playoff games in his career, by the way. Um, I, I would like us to keep uh, Shaq Barrett, um, probably pay him if, if we have to pay between the two because, of, again, I think AB getting his uh, reps up and this kind of being like a training camp-ish year for him – um, we're gonna we we almost forgot how good AB is and how shifty he is. I think AB is very humbled for the first time in his life, and Tom has that effect on him that that mentorship. If it's just not AB looking up to his professionalism and his rings, I think AB will will make a very player friendly deal. We have Scotty Miller still on his rookie contract. We have the the kid Tyler Johnson. Um, I would hope that Leonard Fournette kind of sees the forest for the trees of. He had a, a, a 3.9 yard per carry average. Rojo was close to five and seeing the benefit of both of them. And um, I think we have to drop Sue. I think for where I love Ndamukong Sue, but he's getting up there in age. He's three years older than, than J.J. Watt, by the way. Um, he's, he's a phenomenal player. Um, just the consistency with the motor and the whatever. I think for how much money we should pay Sue... I think we have to let him leave. And so that brings me to the draft. I'm talking to my boys, my, my Tampa confidants. And I think either, well, we had the injury to the right guard, uh, Stinney. Ali Marpet is a great pro, if you don't know that left guard position. Um, he's, he's a fantastic pro. Um, Donovan Smith, uh, he overperformed in, in the playoffs. I was, I was ridiculing him a lot, especially after that Bears game. Um, the, the, the Saints and the Rams, pretty much uh, every game that we lost this year was a defensive struggle. I think we have to drop Sue and draft a defensive tackle at the end of round one. I got one friend who's big on Travis Etienne. Um, I, I'm not big on, on that. You can find gr great backs in, in the later rounds. Um, I, I want the kid out of uh, Indiana. I believe his name is Jeremy or Jerome Johnson. Um, it just, just a a great defensive tackle with how Indiana surprised people this year. And they had a, a dual threat quarterback, but I, th I believe it was Pinnix, but their defense really came to play this year. And every game that I saw this year, he was making plays, not necessarily being a big man in the middle, but knowing when to swat passes if he wasn't going to get to the quarterback. He showed some hustle sideline to sideline. And then I think you bolster a little bit, with the offensive line in round two, because we are in the later stages of each round, it looks set for our linebacking core. Our, I love, and I was telling my guys throughout the season, because I've always been kind of, um, uh, I'm, I'm always overly critical of our uh, players, our personnel, but our secondary, they, they're still pups. There's still, there's still pups in that secondary. I think the oldest one back there is who? Like, like maybe 24, 25? And it's just kind of like a, a, a blitz by, by just, uh, we're, we're just going to throw everybody at you. And like you said, the, the attrition this year, people getting injured, and we just have about six solid guys that we can rotate in and out that are getting more familiar with Todd Bowles' defense. Um, you saw Jamel Dean had a pick six of Rodgers in the regular season. Um, we had three picks of Mahomes, and some of those were batted balls. Some of those were being in the right place at the right time. Uh, Devin White had the pick. Um, I think we continue to strengthen the trenches, keep Tom upright, and um, uh, continue to not be mm, uh, 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 com 
comfortable or uh, content with uh, our defensive line and our front seven, but continue to replenish and 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 let our D backs do do what they can do in the back end with that pressure that that Todd Bowles likes to apply. And you you brought up uh, the defensive tackle you're hoping to draft. When I think of that defense and potential needs, the name that keeps coming up to me is. Jalen Phillips, the defensive end out of Miami, mm-hmm. he is. I I just think if you you're able to get him in that first round, I think he's just an instant plug and play guy. I think he fits that defense beautifully, and I think if you can keep those core offensive pieces together, there there's just very minimal switching you have to do. There's very little upgrades available, maybe outside of that offensive line tweaking that a little bit but I think that offense especially with a year under their belt already it's just going to be even better next year I it's it's amazing to kind of extrapolate I always want to pump the brakes um because I'm I'm very heady of uh just just um you know things are never as bad as they seem if you think about the Kansas City side of things they were down three offensive linemen that continuity and and keeping uh, Mahomes uh, kind of feet set and everything, um, that that's a that's a big reason why we won the Super Bowl. Uh, th- things are never as good as they seem. Just how dominant we looked against what, what one of the all time great offenses it looks like, and and uh, having added, you know, we we, we both love our, our Clyde Edwards Hilaire oh, yeah. to to that kind of uh, roster and whatever. Um, I, th- our offensive line definitely overperformed, and and what have you. Um, it's it's amazing to think of what the, the 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 yearless wonder. I mean, you saw Drew Brees at the end of the the year. You saw Ben Roethlisberger. I'll even throw a name in there. I don't care about the weapons out there. I saw in week fifteen, sixteen ish, Cam Newton put his all into a throw, and it looked like the biggest throw I've ever seen in my life. It went like twenty yards downfield, and I feel bad for the kid, but like he's he's falling apart. But for that man to be so heady about his body. You know, keep his sea legs under him for this for the Super Bowl parade or coming off the, the the water and whatever. But how aware he is about his arm and keeping himself fresh, and with the continuity that hopefully with the vaccines and everything that's going to go into the the professional sport down the road that we can have these kind of training camps, um, the offense should look just as good, if not a, a little bit more consistent. We were definitely very streaky as evidenced by the regular season, especially early on, and um, catching teams off guard, but also teams kind of knowing our M.O. and whatever. Um, I, I think we, we got lucky in the sense of Kansas City having those linemen out. And I do love Todd Bowles, but I think sometimes he gets a little too creative, a little too mastermind in the lab kind of scenario where he was kind of forced to not be exotic as much and us play those four rushers essentially the whole game and make Mahomes read and get antsy. Mahomes looked like Josh Allen to me out there. Remember the the regular season Bills-Chiefs game and Kansas City Steve Spaggs was like, we know you want to chuck it, Josh. You know, you're not mature yet. He kind of got better as the season goes along. He wasn't taking anything underneath. He was just throwing, getting getting pissed off, you know, being that very sophomore kind of player. And he got a little bit better. Mahomes looked like him in, in the Super Bowl, getting very frustrated, especially with those those drops and, the, and those passes defense, a little bit of penalty side and whatever. 
Um, it looks very good for the Buccaneers in the NFC. I will never take anything away from what an Aaron Rodgers can do. I've always been a big Matt Stafford fan. You put him in that building. Yes, the Rams are very top-heavy on defense, but with uh, an all-timer in the middle and then and then a, probably the best corner in the game, you know, um, I, I, and they did lose their defensive coordinator. The Rams look very strong. I'll never take anything away from Russell Wilson. I think the NFC East is, is, is still going down. Um, you got Jameis in the South. Matt Ryan and the Falcons can always play with a chip on their shoulder, but they're just so inconsistent, gosh darn it. And they went from having a bad defense to hiring an offensive guy. Um, it looks very good for the Buccaneers to repeat. I think Pat Mahomes is going to be in a Super Bowl run every year of his uh, playing in, in the NFL. If, if it was, I'm thinking toward next year with the Chiefs getting better and whatnot. If it's a, if it's a Super Bowl rematch, which I think is very, very high, highly likely, um, barring injury, I, I think it will be a lot closer than anybody saying, oh, the, the I know Devin White's called the, the Chiefs offense gimmicky and whatever, but um, you don't take anything from Andy Reid. You don't take anything from the boy wonder. Um, it, it would be a, I, I, I really do think there will be a Buccaneers-Chiefs uh, Super Bowl rematch, and I think the Chiefs would, would keep it a lot, lot closer and learn from these licks and the wounds. Um, I just don't want to anoint anybody right now. That's just kind of how I see the, uh, the season shaking out next year. Okay. Well, before I ask you to give us your final thoughts, uh, I want to ask you something that came up a lot in my show last week, and that's as a Bucks fan. I, all biases aside, what did this game do for Tom Brady's legacy? Is there even a remotely close second as far as greatest of all time is concerned, or is this just simply he's so far ahead of everyone else, we will never even come close to a second that's even remotely in the same universe. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know me, man. I'm always uh, old school. There's only one uh, uh, favorite player of all time, and that's uh, Jim Brown and what Jim Brown was able to do. Um, I'm a, a man amongst boys. Um, probably the only, uh, uh, one, of, one of the few, I would say not only, but um, few from the classic era. If you plug and play him in the modern area, uh, I, I, I think he would still succeed. I think with the combination of just his m mental acumen and, I mean, for God's sakes, how, what, what defense does he not know or has not seen or is not aware of, like, when, when to read the, the fucking hot route, when the blitz is coming, when they're playing coverage. What, what, he, and he's always been great at using his backs and, and taking what the defense gives. You, you always take what can be given. Plus his arm, like we talked about, his arm at 43 years of age looks better than some guys at 35, for God's sakes. Um, just just his the scope of his place as well as what he's able to produce. You know I'm a big Sheriff fan, but when the Sheriff was in, in the muck and we're playing outdoors and, and the defenses tighten up, I love the man to death, but he just did was not able to produce like Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. And, um, I mean, for God's sakes, what else can you say? But he's, I, I would probably put him number one, Jim Brown number two. I know some people are going to say it. I would put LT at number three and then Jerry, you know. And uh, I, I, I can't say enough of, like, how surreal it was when the zeros hit the clock that this man that... I essentially was rooting against 
all my life, you know, I'm tired of the Patriot stuff, tired of this, you know, it seems very like manufactured, you know, post 9-11 and then the Patriot way and we got to, we got to do this and that and, and, and uh, he's just America's boy, man, that's just America's boy. He comes to the worst organization in the history of any team sport winning record wise and in his first year in a pandemic without practice, he, he delivers us a championship and I'm like, this ain't real. It's a, it's a, it's the Saturday fall on the Super Bowl, and I'm like, did that really happen? No, no. Well, I definitely think that for all those, there, there were plenty of skeptics for all these years. Still are. I don't understand why, but there still are these skeptics that will say it was Belichick because name me one single year Brady won a Super Bowl and didn't have a top defense, but given the circumstances that you just named, I, I think that this whole Brady-Belichick debate, it comes down to this. Belichick needed Brady the way Brady needed Belichick, and there's nothing wrong with that. Joe Montana had one of the greatest coaches of all time. Dan Marino had one of the greatest coaches of all time. They're, they're All three of those are in my top five of all-time quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. The great players usually have great coaches. One of the reasons why I think Aaron Rodgers has underachieved all these years is because he has never had a top coach, ever. Look what uh, Pop Pop's doing in the NBA without his boys, and what would those boys be without Pop Pop, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, I want to thank you for coming on, taking some time out of your day to talk about your bucks with us, and, you know, it's always going to be Cardinals first for me, but... I, I love me some Tom Brady. I love me some Bruce Arians. I definitely was happy to see you guys win this year. And, you know, all things go to, go to hell for the Cardinals. I'll be rooting for you guys to win it again next year. So I, I loved my NFC brothers. Keep showing up that defense. Keep drafting D. I, I, was, I, I texted you during that draft. I said, Isaiah Simmons, bro. <laughs> yes. There's that, yes. Def- there's that linebacker talent, baby. But I uh, um, just can't think of uh, anybody better to uh, host a sports podcast, man. And just uh, thank you so much for having me on there. Right on, man. Thank you. That was Ryan joining us on Let's Talk Sports with Tommy P. And as he's leaving us, we have Joey D coming in to join the show. We're going to be recapping UFC 258, talking about the main event, which was Kamaru Usman versus Gilbert Burns for the welterweight championship. And we're also going to be giving you our top 10 list of the 10 greatest fighters in UFC history. Now, when I talk about the 10 greatest fighters, I'm not talking about the 10 most impactful fighters, which is why we're going to have people like a Conor McGregor, like a Forrest Griffin, like a Ronda Rousey, not on my list. When we're talking about the 10 greatest fighters, we're talking about in their primes, pound for pound, who were the best fighters. So we're joined now by Joey D. Joey D, how you doing today? I'm doing good, bro. I'm excited for this. Thank I'm excited too, man. I'm really excited too. What a fight we saw last night, man. Gilbert Burns came out in the first round. Guns a-blazing was clearly outclassing Kamaru Usman on the feet. And then we saw, so last week I talked about, and with, with an athlete, with an NFL quarterback I used as example, what I want to see, what signifies greatness is I don't want to see someone who just, they're, they're getting the best of you each and every time. I want to see someone who overcomes adversity because I think 
what comes on the other side of adversity once you faced it shows what type of an athlete, in this case a fighter, you are. We saw Kamaru Usman overcome a lot of adversity. He got worked that first round, and then in the second and third rounds, he was a completely different fighter, and I think we clearly saw the growth he's making. He's getting better as a fighter. Absolutely, and like <clears throat> that's the thing about champions. It's not just about winning or defending a title like at a at a place to where you're just dominant the whole way through. I want to see you get rocked. I want to see you come back. I want to see you face, like you said, the, the adversity that, that it takes to show me how much of a champion you are. You're... If, if you dominate the whole way through, um, like, that's kind of, like, how you talked about, like, the impactful fighters like Conor McGregor. Like, he just had a run to where he dominated people, and then he showed someone found his weakness. Once that was exposed, it's over for him. You know what I mean? Like, people continue to pick at that one weakness. Kamaru Usman showed up in that fight. I think he got surprised when he got rocked. Like, I, I, but he, he got his game plan. He adjusted to it. He adjusted to getting rocked. He adjusted to getting rocked. And then not only that, but, like, he started playing smart. He started playing real smart. He started picking his shots, and he completely picked apart Gilbert Burns right after that first round. And, and it shows how much of a champion he is. And you're right, he is getting better. And he's getting more exciting to me as a fighter. And that's what we talked about before the fight started. I talked about I didn't think this fight was going to be as exciting as it ended up being because Kamaru Usman up until this point has shown he's the type of fighter that although he's capable of boxing and standing up and exchanging with you, he's one of those guys that he's going to just wear you out the way he did with Tyron Woodley, the way he did with Colby Covington. He, he's just, a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you essentially quit because of how tired you are. And... What we saw last night, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this this guy is becoming a complete fighter. That jab, I don't I honestly don't know if I've seen a jab that powerful in it. I don't know how long. He packs a heavy jab. He does, and he was like for the for the simple fact that, like you said, he, he does take guys in the deep waters. I don't even know if that was his intent last night with Gilbert Burns or if the power just, like, took over. But I think that the the simple fact is this, is that he played it through the way he was supposed to. And because of that, like, he capitalized on the finish that he should have ultimately got probably in the second round. You know what I mean? Like, he, he had Gilbert hurt in the second round. He should have capitalized. And I think when it came when it came through to when the time was right, he capitalized on it right, man, and, and he made it happen, and he got the finish, and... I think I thought it was a beautiful fight for both guys too. You know what I mean? I mean, I think Gilbert definitely like blew his load in the first the first round for sure. He came out guns a blazing. He tried to take off Kamaru Usman's head, and he paid he paid the price for that. But I mean, it's it's also it's also different. Like just for the fact that he put in all that effort in the first round doesn't mean that like it doesn't discredit Kamaru Usman for like outclassing that dude on the feet afterwards cuz he was he was outclassing him in the boxing area like and those jabs alone were just beautiful you know what i mean and those jabs will just those will just throw you off your game period cuz you keep getting hit with them you don't expect to keep getting hit with them and hit with them and hit with them and i think i think Gilbert Burns just got overwhelmed with that jab and I think this is going to be one of those fights. The first thing 
you and I said after that fight was Gilbert Burns is going to be back. I think yeah, yeah. I think this is one of those losses to where a fighter is going to come back stronger because the way you said Usman could have finished Burns in the second round, Burns could have finished Usman in the first round. Yes, he, for sure. He was not. He did not capitalize on his opportunity. Uh, I think when in that first round when he did end up on the ground, he spent way too much time on his back waiting for Usman to make a mistake instead of getting up, getting back to what was working for him. And I, I, I just think he, he killed a lot of his momentum. He killed a lot of his own momentum in that fight. Yeah, for sure. Like when he, because when, when he initially like got up off the ground from sitting on his back for so long, you know what I mean? Like you said, like that momentum stops, you know, like his, that just that whole desire to go good to go and get it probably just like, you know what I mean? Slowed down. And he probably thought of it as a, a time for me, like, oh, I'm going to catch my breath and stuff like that. But all he did was open the door for Kamar, Kam, Kam, uh, Usman to, man, like, to game plan. You know what I mean? He, he, let, he let Usman get right. While he thought he was getting right, he let Usman get right. And it's easy. It's like, it's easy. I, I, I hate, like, it's funny being on podcasts and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I love it. I love talking about the sports and watching. You know what I mean? Especially with fights because, like, here I sit, you know what I mean? I'm on the couch watching it. Like, you know what I mean? It's easy to say, you should have got up. You know what I mean? You should have got off your back. You should have, you know what I mean? Ultimately, though, I did see him explode and get back up on his feet. But he should have did that way beforehand to keep that momentum and capitalize on the fact that he had Usman hurt. He had him rocked, man. Like, he had Usman surprised and thrown off his game immediately when he caught him with that, with, you know what I mean, with that overhand. To a point where we, we had never seen Usman hurt like that before. Ever. No, no, I, I, I just, I've never seen him stumble on his feet like that before. And, and, and look, he didn't, he didn't wear it well. You know what I mean? He wore it like, I'm rocked. That's how he, I he, saw him. He looked essentially surprised. Even though in the post-fight interview he stated, we, we had, we've had so many sparring sessions for the six years we were training partners. I knew what he was going to do. But the way he reacted when he got punched showed, I, I'm kind of surprised at how hard this guy just hit me. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, like, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if there's, like, a, a dynamic that these guys went into the fight based off of the fact that they were training with each other and, like, for that reason, like maybe Usman might have underestimated him a little bit, but yeah, maybe I don't I don't know if he expected to get that hit that hard because I mean he's fought, you know he's fought beasts man he's you know Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal, even Tyrone Woodley you know what I mean for that sake Tyrone Woodley you know what I mean knocks has knocked dudes out too you know what I mean and he's got tagged by these guys and he's never been rocked like that though like this right. guy took him off of, you know what I mean he took, he. He stumbled him for sure, so I think he was definitely a surprise. He might have underestimated the power a little bit, but but what I like about it though is Usman, he he respected it because he fought a smart fight after that. You know what I mean? He he made sure to go in and play his cards right rather than just say, you know what I mean? I'm just gonna go out, you know, headhunt now because that's that's what kind of fight this is. This dude's trying to take my head off. I'm gonna try to take his head off now, man. He fought a Smart fight. He picked his shots well. You know what I mean? He ultimately outclassed him. And he, I think, he, you know what I mean? He let, I don't know. I, th I think he just, I think he just, he played the game well, man. He played the game well. And he did what a champion's supposed to do in the sense of like, I'm not going to lose my cool in this moment. You know what I mean? I'm going to hold my composure. 
and, and I'm gonna get this win. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk away with this title again because you know what I mean. That that's what he's there for. That's why that's why he's a champion. Gilbert Burns will be back though. That dude's a beast. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna have another run at some point. I'm pretty sure. Well, you have to think pretty soon because I mean, like he, he coming into it, he was the number one ranked contender, uh, and to be honest, even though the second and third rounds weren't even close, it wasn't an embarrassing loss by any means. Like he, he showed in that first round that he belonged in, in there with the champion. And that kind of leaves me to wonder what's next for Usman because the commentating team last night did say it perfectly that he does need a new challenge, but then he goes and calls out Jorge Masvidal because Jorge Masvidal has definitely been mouthing quite a bit at the champion. Give me a full training camp. I, I'm, gonna, I'm walking away with that belt, essentially. And you and I talked a lot about it. You and I have different feelings on this. I don't want to say that you believe, no question, Masvidal would win that fight. But I think you're a lot more confident in Masvidal than I am. I believe that stylistically, this is not a favorable matchup for Masvidal just because of the, the type of fighter Usman is. The, I'm going to wear you out. And he showed it, essentially, in the first fight. But granted, I don't take any stock in it whatsoever because of how short notice Masvidal took the fight. He was clearly out of shape. And he had one of the worst weight cuts I have ever seen a fighter go through. You brought up the videos last night about him getting snappy on everyone, him struggling to lose that weight. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, like I, I hate to like talk out of base of based off of like trying to like because I'm not I'm, I think I mean like it's funny because a lot of these things are opinions, but it, it, you it, it's hard not to sound biased. I love. Jorge Masvidal as a fighter. Oh, I do too. You know what I mean? I like I said, like my thoughts on uh, Kamaru Usman versus in comparison to Jorge Masvidal. I just think Masvidal is a more exciting fighter, but like that doesn't take away the fact that Usman's the champ for a reason. You know what I mean? And and regardless of like you said, the weight cut and, and what you don't take stock in when it comes to that fight. I mean, Masvidal didn't walk away with the belt, you know what I mean? And I'm a, I'm a fair guy to say, you know, he had the opportunity to. It just, it just, it, it, it makes it, I just hope the opportunity comes for Masvidal to, to show, to show his skill set at a full length camp. Not only that, but you know what I mean? Without struggling out of weight cut and just going in at his full potential that he does in these other fights, you know what I mean? Like, He's because he's a beast too, and I know that regardless if he walks away with the title, it's gonna be a way more interesting and an explosive fight than it was last time. You know what I mean? Because it was it was just a domination. You know, it was it was a he just was clearly not in the Jorge Masvidal you know place where he's usually at to where he he puts on. You know what I mean? He puts on and puts on and puts pressure and puts pressure like he was getting pressured. You know, he was getting worked. He he landed shots and he did you know he did his thing. He showed he showed that you know he he deserves to be there. But I think it would have just looked a lot better if he had a full camp. And respect to the man though for taking that fight on such short notice. And respect to Usman as well because you can train for someone all you want. And at the end of the day, you know what I mean. You take a fight on short notice. Both guys, both sides of the party, 
they're getting something different than what they were going for. Essentially, Usman had nothing to gain in that fight, but also everything to lose. You lose your title and that momentum that you've built taking a fight against a fighter who took a fight on six days' notice. I mean, look at the momentum that McGregor lost for a short time when he lost that first fight against Nate Diaz. Took the fight on 12 days' notice, and in essence, Nate Diaz sunk, sunk Conor McGregor's boat. Yeah, for sure. It's it's crazy because, like you were talking about prior to, like, um, on, on, on the, the reality of, of that weight class, like, Gilbert Burns probably will get another run because, like, like they were talking about last night, like, who's next? Like, who, you know, who's the fight next? For the fact that he called out Jorge Masvidal, that fight should happen. You know what I mean? Like, I think the fight should happen. The, the only other fight to me that makes sense, but Joe Rogan also brought up a good point, is Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards yeah. is currently the number three ranked welterweight in the world, but he has not fought in quite some time, not to any fault of his own, his his opponents keep getting injured. They they keep having to reschedule. He did uh, get an injury, I think about six months ago or so. But he's been healthy. He's been ready to go. But the other thing going against him is Kamaru Usman has already beaten Leon Edwards. Granted, it was early in Leon Edwards' UFC career, and yeah. he is definitely a better fighter since then. Leon Edwards hasn't lost a fight since that fight. He's on an eight eight fight winning streak, like. But I do think you have to get Leon Edwards in there just to show, like, you know, I'm still the number three contender in the world. I haven't fought in a while. I think, to me, a Wonder Boy Thompson fight makes sense for Leon Edwards. I'm not saying the winner of that fight necessarily gets a title shot. I think if Leon Edwards wins, you give him his title shot. But Wonder Boy... I think Wonder Boy's got to win a couple more before he's back in that title picture. Yeah, for sure, definitely, definitely with Wonder Boy, um, and that's what, I, and that's, and that's how I think that they should come come to terms with it. Like, aside, like, so say say the Usman and Masvidal fight happens. Say Usman walks off with the belt again, then yeah, like everybody underneath those guys, like you know what I mean, they should have a couple fights with a couple of guys fighting each other. And see what comes up of it. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, if Leon Edwards uh, wins that next fight, like, give him the title, man. Like, you know, what I mean? give him the opportunity to fight for the title. Like, he deserves it. Um, I definitely think that he shouldn't get it. Not, not even, not even that fact. Not even saying that he doesn't deserve it, but I'm saying like you should just throw him in there with somebody. Great competition and like warm him up again. You know what I mean? Like, have him, have him. Dust off the, the, the cobwebs and stuff like that. You know, a lot of people say that ring rest is a real thing. I don't know because I'm not a personal fighter. But Dominic I mean, Cruz I, would disagree with you. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Dominic Cruz says that that shit's not real. Um, but, I mean, fair to him. You know what I'm saying? That dude's been through some crazy stuff and has come in and just dominated his weight class. So, like, you know, and, and, and got a belt, too. So, I mean, I but don't know. The, the welterweight division's definitely in good hands right now. You know, we all love seeing competition. We all like seeing things like we saw last night, a champion overcoming adversity. And as frustrating as it can be sometimes where it's just like, what's next? Like, who, what we saw with John Jones in the light heavyweight division. Like, who else is there? There's still plenty of challenges for Kamaru Usman. 
there's still plenty, and I'm I'm really excited to see what happens next. Yeah, they'll they'll find it. They'll find the fights. You know, that's why they are the organization that they are, and that's why they're as big as they are is because, you know, they sit down and they work it out and they make the fights happen. You know, and and people are people are like. The fight game is so different than what it used to be. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Like, people just jumping up way, jumping down way. Night and day. Leon Edwards is calling out Nate Diaz now. Nate Diaz is, you know what I mean? Like, all, all these things. And that's just, like, one example. But, like, people, you know what I'm saying? Like, who knows what's to come? You know, who knows who's going to step in that weight class at some point and, and maybe even make a run for the title? Like, you know, people decide not to cut weight and then start walking, you know what I mean, fighting that closer to the weight that they walk around at and not having hard cuts, and they they do good. You know what I mean? They do and, great. And that's the next thing I actually wanted to talk to you about, talking back, going back to uh, Gilbert Burns. He struggled as a lightweight. He was about a 500 fighter as a lightweight and then undefeated up until last night at welterweight, moves up a weight class fighting at his natural weight, this has been a topic talked about for years on what the benefit is of fighting at your natural weight. And I get it. You know, a lot of these guys cut weight because they think on fight day, I'll have a physical advantage over my opponent because I'll probably be in that cage outweighing him 15, 20 pounds. But the toll that that weight cut can take, I mean, we, we go back to the Masvidal conversation, you know, Remember when Anthony Johnson fought at welterweight? Yeah. Dude yeah. was huge. He, he used to cut 40 pounds for starting day one of his training camp. I'm like, that has to be a nightmare cutting that much weight. And then he goes up to 205, jumps up two weight classes. Dude looks like a freight train knocking people, knocking the best fighters in the world out cold. Yeah, and it's crazy. It's it's like in comparison to when I used to watch Anthony Rumble Johnson fight back in the day, to watching him now, like he looks like a completely different person. Like the man is just he's a he's a phenom. You know what I mean? He was a phenom back then, but like, I mean, I didn't realize that like he cut. I didn't realize that he had cut that much weight. You know what I mean? Like based off of like how he is now, or like from from his last few fights, you know that he had had. Uh, before before calling it or whatever, he, uh, you know, he was shredded. He was so in shape, and now he's just, like, still shredded, but you wouldn't even know, like, how unhealthy it looks unless you put two pictures of him side by side, you know what I mean? Because I think, I think a lot of it is, like, these dudes drain themselves, man. They drain their bodies, you know what I'm saying? Like, they compete at the highest level, but at the same time, like, you know, some of these guys jump on the scales and they look malnourished almost, you know, like, and, and then they come to the fight and they look plumped up, but, like, that has to have some type of negative effect on you, I'd, I'd say. I, I think that for a lot of these guys, they have to look at fighting at their natural weight, man, because there is plenty of success when you look at, you know, Gilbert Burns, when you look at Look at, look at how much better Kelvin Gastelum looks at middleweight as opposed to welterweight. Same thing with Darren Till. Yeah. I, I mean, the, these guys are fighting at their more natural weight, and th- the, the product looks better. It looks cleaner. They, they look energized. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, 
And you can tell that they feel better, too. You know, like, I haven't seen a guy who went up in weight who got closer to what the weight that they walk around at, you know what I mean, without having to cut 5 pounds, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, whatever. Like, I every interview that you see with these dudes, like, they're just more so, like, I think it's a me- the mental game of it as well. Like, they're happier, you know what I mean? They're happier, they're more energized, like you said, and they're ready to go in there and fight, you know? Like, you prior to you'll see guys just struggling you know what i mean with hard weight cuts stuff like that like not wanting to do the press but at the end of the day like these dudes they're they're athletes this is their profession so when it comes down to it everything that goes into these fights that lead up to them fighting you know what i mean as much as we don't want to look at it it's a part of the game the conferences the interviews all these things it's what all the people want to see we want to hear them. You know what I mean? We want to hear them talk shit. We want to know about their life. They're superstars at the end of the day. You know what I mean? And um, a lot of it has been souped up more so, and it's a lot beefier, I think, when a guy is, like, you know, in there, and he's like, I'm ready to go. You know, I'm ready, I'm ready for war, um, and, and I'm not struggling based off of a weight cut. You know? Like, and I think it just, uh, there's a comfort level in it. You know what I mean? I, there's no reason... It has to be based off of people cut weight because they, like you said, they're going to go in and say, I have an advantage because you'll see people hit the hit the scales and they're like, oh my God, like he looks sucked up, you know? And it's like they, they walk in the ring and, you know, they're nice and You, you know, Daniel Cormier, Daniel Cormier, was when he was fighting at light heavyweight, there's no doubt in my mind on fight day, he was walking around probably 220, 225, easy. Oh yeah, for sure. He went. He <laughs> Daniel Cormier is a cool dude. It's fun. It's fun, I, dude. That dude's crazy, man. I, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to get to these this list. To well, be truthfully honest with you, we're gonna jump right into it. So again, we are going to break down the ten greatest UFC fighters in history. And again, you know, in my mind, as someone who follows all sports, I. I'm very stern in my opinions and my beliefs. In my opinion, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player who has ever lived, and it's not even close. I will give LeBron number two, and it's not even close for number two, but that will never change. There is nothing LeBron James can do to make me believe that he is a better basketball player than Michael Jordan. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback I have ever seen in my life, And there's not even a close second. I will never get off of that. Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player. Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer. All this. The thing about MMA, though, that's different from these other sports that I just talked about. These other sports have been around, most of them, close to or about 100 years. MMA was formed in the early 90s. MMA is a completely different game than what it first started off as. Now it truly is mixed martial arts. When, when MMA first started, you'd have the boxers versus the karate fighters, the wrestlers versus the jiu-jitsu fighters. Now you need, to, you need to specialize in two or three different martial arts to be successful. So I already know... Joey and I are going to disagree about <laughs> who the greatest UFC fighter of all time is. But the thing about it is, and the reason why I brought up those examples before, is because 
I know that it is much closer than I want to believe it is. And to be quite honest, if the gentleman that Joey has at number one and I have at number two wins his next fight, I cannot deny he is the greatest UFC fighter of all time. But before we get to number one, let's start it off. Joey, guests go first on this show. Who is the 10th greatest fighter <laughs> in UFC history? So here, here's what I want to say. It, this was actually really difficult. Um, and obviously we know each other on a personal basis. You know that, I, you know what I mean? I've, I've, I love MMA. I love UFC. You know, I love all the organizations that trickle down that have led up to the UFC. This was extremely hard. I like. I feel like. I honestly feel like from six down. Like I don't even know if these are solid or not. To be truthfully honest, they could flip flop either way. And it was just like I think. So for my number ten, honestly, I had uh, Dan Henderson. Ooh. Yeah, I I had to put Dan Henderson on there. one of my personal favorites. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely one of my favorites. But, I mean, I'm just, based off of his whole career. You know what I'm saying? Like, in the UFC, like, he, he made a lot of noise as well. But, like, based off of his whole career. And, like, it's just the, the age bracket that he was in. You know what I mean? Fighting people who were in their prime and the wins that he's got. Like Very first fighter to ever win a round against Anderson Silva in the UFC. <laughs> he The dude... He, he just, he makes my list, man. He makes my list. Like, cause it's, I also, he, he was also fighting around a time where like the names were, you know what I mean? Like all like Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz and Frank, you know what I mean? The guys who were, the, who made the impact like you were talking about, you know what I mean? Like this dude is, I mean, he's for the sport in general, you know what I mean? He's one of those names that can't be slept on. So that's my tank. Well, here's a fun fact for you folks at home and for you, Joey, because I don't even know if you know this. You know, there's a lot, especially this day and age, of noise made around the champ champs. Yeah, And a lot of people will talk about McGregor was the first one. He wasn't. Technically, it was Dan Henderson because when the UFC bought out Pride, Dan Henderson was the Pride it was different weight classes in Japan, but when he came to the UFC, he was known as the Pride Middleweight and the Pride Light Heavyweight Champion, and that's why he had those unification bouts with Anderson Silva and with Rampage Jackson for the titles. So, fun fact for you folks at home, Dan Henderson was actually the first champ champ. Champ champ. Dan Hendo. I like that. My number 10... It was different up until last night. I have Kamaru Usman as number 10. You cannot deny what the man has done thus far. Last night, he broke George St. Pierre's welterweight record for most consecutive wins. And he's now tied for the second most consecutive wins in UFC history. He joins a list of fighters who have won 13 straight fights that includes Max Holloway, Demetrius Johnson, John Jones, Khabib Nurmagomedov, 
and George St. Pierre. Yeah. That's def- that's an elite that's elite company to be in. And like we were talking about earlier, it's not like he's beaten nobody's. Right. Right. No. He he yeah, dude it even it made it that much harder, you know what I'm saying? Um thinking about this list after watching that fight last night. Right. You know, and then and then knowing like the accomplishment that actually came out of it, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't really think about it. And it's like with this list there's so much, you know what I mean? There's so much there's so much fighters in general, you know what I mean, who've done so much for the sport, but I mean in regards to being the greatest of all time in regards to, you know, having that record um, yeah, man, like the dude, the dude has earned a spot and, and I'm telling you right now, like, I think that, I think that, uh, I think people kind of talked about it, man. Like he's underrated a little bit, you know? And that's, that's insane to think about it how is. a guy that talented and that clearly dominant is still underrated and underappreciated. Right. I don't think that's going to be the case going forward. I don't either. I think, I think he, I like, you know, he's. He's playing the game right, you know, even with last night, like he made it exciting. You know, he's not a he's a he's he's a good champion, you know? He's For a sure. good champion. He's a respectful champion, man. Like the dude he sets out and, and I'm telling you one thing, man, like he's not to be messed with. You know what I mean? Like he will bring pain upon you, man. And and I think that I think it shows, man, because for the fact that he has the title and he's kept it, you know what I mean, and he has he's beat those records or, or tied up with them or whatever, man. Like, he's he's gonna be here to stay. You know, I'm I'm excited to see where his career goes from this point on because I, I can see why he made your number ten for sure. And the fun thing about this list for me is, I think up until we get into the top five. I don't think there's going to be much argument between us because of how hard of a time you and I had making this list. Yeah, this was, I I didn't think it was going to be as difficult. And and honestly, like, as I sat in and I did, you know, looked into more and more research and stuff like that. um, Because, I mean, I'm just a fan of fighting. You know what I mean? I'm a fan of fighting. I'm a fan of watching the excitement that goes behind it. You know, obviously, I I love the striking, you know, this would have been one of those things that if we made a top 20 list, I think we still would have struggled with a top 20 because of how many great fighters we've had the privilege of seeing in our lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, but it's just like, you know, what what rings to mind like in my favorite fights that really like pulled me in, you know what I mean? Right. That really like caught my eye. Which and is I was probably, like, probably why Henderson made your list. Because absolutely. those Shogun fights. That, those that Shogun Ma- fights. Ma- Michael Bisping the knockout. The Michael Bisping like, knockout, like... You know, I remember being, when I was, you know, younger, like, that, that, first of all, that Michael Bisping knockout was just... Unbelievable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And it was the one, you know what I mean, it's, I was already into, you know, I was already into UFC before that, prior to, but it's just like, those things kept me coming back, and those things had me rooting for guys like, you know what I mean, Dan Henderson, I was just like, man, like, that those, there was a time where, like, you know what I mean, I shared, like, you know those like that dude was like my favorite fighter. You know, the, a guy who didn't even never will never make this list. Diego Sanchez. That guy was one of my favorite fighters back in the day because of how exciting it was. And based off of the show that he put against, you know, Clay Guida. 
You know, Gil- and, and that was Gil- even, Gilbert Melendez. Gilbert Melendez, like classic fights, you know. And it's funny because like back then I was like, oh man, like Diego, he put on such like he, you know, he ultimately like he he brought it hard against Clay Guida. And it's funny because like as we get older, you know, we you and I revisited and watched that fight again, and you showed me that like. It was closer, you know what I mean? It was closer than what you thought. It wasn't that much of a domination. It's just the way, like, he impressed me, you know? For me personally, I still think that fight should have been a draw because I had the first round 10-8 to Sanchez, and then I had the last two rounds 10-9 for Guida. I I think that fight should have been a draw, but I'm not mad with the result. That was one of the best fights I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, there's no loser in that fight. Who's your number nine? Kamara Usman. Kamara Usman, yeah. okay. Kamara Usman, he got the number nine slot. Just like, you know, and, and, and like I said, it's it's kind of hard because, like, there's the new school, mixing mix, mixing in the new school with the old school, right? But, like, that's why leading up, it's kind of different. But, like, Kamara Usman definitely is in number nine. Um, I'm excited to see what he's going to do moving forward. But um, based off of based off of just my uh, my liking to the different fighters in this day and age, you know what I mean, and like with different weight classes and stuff like that, it's just like I kind I feel like I've just learned more about Kamara Usman just within last night, you know. So I mean, he makes my number nine spot, and I don't. I mean, who knows? Like this list could change, you know what I mean? Well, so the last month has changed this list. We've been talking about doing this list for a while. Yeah. This guy was number 10 on my list, but after his last fight, he moved up to number 9. My number 9 is Max Holloway. That nice. clinic that he put on against Calvin Cater, have we ever seen a, a more one-sided fight? No. Uh, more of a five-round domination than what Max Holloway did. I mean, and not only this, so I, I want to take it back to when, when he truly changed. That fight he lost against Conor McGregor changed the man's entire perception of how he trained, how he performed. He went on to win, an, I, I can't remember if it was 11 or 12 fight, fights in a row, but I just want to name off some of these guys he beat during that win streak before he won the title. He beat Cub Swanson. He beat Charles Oliveira. He beat... Jeremy Stevens. He beat Anthony Pettis to win the interim title. And then what he did to Jose Aldo twice. 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 And then Brian Ortega. This man is another level of impressive. And I understand that he lost that rematch against Dustin Poirier. But I think to, to what we were talking about fighters fighting at their natural weight, I think it also shows no matter how talented you are, because I I think in terms of overall fighters, you and I will agree overall, Max Holloway is a better fighter than Dustin Poirier, but Poirier is the bigger fighter. Yeah. And he's a little more crisp in just the boxing, but... He, he he looked physically like he struggled against a bigger fighter. We saw in other weight classes too. Remember when uh, Demetrius Johnson fought as a bantamweight and he fought Dominic Cruz? He yeah. struggled against a bigger fighter. And I think no matter how good you are, I mean, there are weight classes for a reason. 
And I think no matter how talented you are, size for some fighters is something they just they can't overcome. Absolutely. And you know what? It's funny because like, like as a man, like you know, you don't you you agree and you don't agree with other what what other men say. You know what I mean? And like a lot of it's funny because like Dana White, you know, he says a lot of things that I'm kind of like, what? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. Like he he knows the game. You know what I mean? He's he's. You know, he's the GOAT. <laughs> he's the GOAT, man, like, when it comes to the business and everything. But, like, one thing that he said that I just could completely agree with is that, like, Max, you know, he, he, they thought that he would make that, you know, he would make that fight, and he would make that fight look good. But, like, he's just a smaller guy, man. Like, And I do want to point out, I know you agree with me on this, Max Holloway should still be the champion. Yes, bro, absolutely, man. Max like, Holloway, I, the first fight was a lot closer than the second fight. And I thought Max Holloway should have won the first fight. Mm -hmm. The second fight was a clear Holloway outworked Volkanovski, and somehow he still lost that fight. Max Holloway should still be the featherweight champion. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I mean, everybody, everybody and their mother who watched that fight said that Max Holloway won that fight, aside from the judging that led... Terrible you know, judging. Yeah, terrible, terrible judgment. Like, I don't I don't understand. Dude, like, a win, you know, a win's a win. Like, whatever, man. But, like, how could dude walk off, you know, feeling like that was a true win? You know, I think if even he were to watch that fight back, he's probably just happy as hell he got that win. Dude, like, right. he got worked in that fight, I felt like, man. And I do believe, especially after this last fight he had, Holloway's going to be champ again. Yeah, because that's 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 just what it goes. That's that's what goes to show what a cha- what a champion is. You know what I mean? Someone who even takes an L that wasn't even a deserved L. You know what I mean? Like if Max Holloway he take an L on the chin and then he comes back and puts on a performance like that. Remember what he did after the loss to Poirier? Completely outworked Frankie Edgar. Yeah, he he does not let losses get in his head. No. And, and, like, that's the beautiful thing about it because, like, and, and, like, even when he talks, man, like, he, it's not a front. It's not, it's not, it's not a, you know what I mean? It's not a mask that he puts right. on to sound like he's a humble dude. He's a humble dude. He's humble. He's really a humble champion. You know what I mean? He's, he's really a guy who says, hey, man, like, you know, you win some, you lose some, but, like, I'm going to come back stronger. And every time he does, you know, like. Regardless of, of the losses that he took, you know what I mean? I was extremely surprised in the Dustin Poirier fight that he had. I was surprised that he lost like that, you know what I mean? But it is what it is. Like, those, those guys, you know what I mean? Like, shit like that happens all the time, man. All the time. You know, that, it's, that's, that's the crazy thing about the fight game, man. On any given day, anyone can be beaten. Yeah, I thought Poirier was going to get worked in that fight. and he, We both did, and, yeah. You know what I mean? But, like, it just goes It just goes to show, like, the, the more, you know what I mean, fights like that push Poirier to get to where he's at right now, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, the greatness that he's shown throughout his fight career to, like, be at the top, top again, you know what I mean? From losing that fight with Khabib to being at the top once again, like, that just goes to show, like, what kind of drive and ambition these dudes have, man. Like, Absolutely. They are, like, those dudes are real fighters. You know, Holloway, he's a real fighter. Poirier, he's a real fighter, man. Like, those dudes love to fight, you know, and it just goes to show because you take a, you take a loss, you know, but you show up and then you put on a better performance and, like, just Max Holloway's last fight was ridiculous. 
ridiculous. The things that he was doing in that fight, like there's 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 showboating. You know what I mean? There's there's a there's there's showboating in the game. But this dude was just like looking at the commentating team, saying, "I'm the greatest boxer of all time," and still swinging and connecting, connecting and dodging shots. You know what I mean? Like the dude is. He's a machine, man. Like, and and I, I honestly think if we were to do this list again a year from now, I think Max would be even higher on this list. Yeah, for sure. Who's your number eight? Max Holloway. There you go. Yeah, Max Holloway for sure. And you know what's funny is, is like there was there was a different number eight, right? And like the only reason why Max Holloway gets it though is because like he's still going. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, it's, it's harder to mix in like the old school with the new school. You know what I mean? But like, the old, you know what I mean? A lot, we'll see as we go up in the list, but like Max Holloway is still, you know what I mean? I don't even know if he's hit his prime yet. That's the, the crazy, that's the crazy thing. That's the crazy thing is we've seen this level of dominance and I mean, based on that last fight, same thing with Usman we saw last night. These guys keep getting even better. Right. And that's what's that's 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 the crazy thing about the game, man. Like, yeah, like this list could change. You know what I mean? Like you said, when it comes to the one and two, like you know, things are gonna continue to happen that say, oh, you know what I mean? Like that might jump up in your opinion the way you know what I mean. You can't really argue with it, but yeah, my my number eight is definitely Max Holloway, man. Like the dude, I, I still see him. I mean, in my eyes, he's the champ. You know, yeah. like there's there's a there's a lot of things that I see like that I you know I can say like oh a loss is a loss you know when we get in our little debates about <laughs> you know winning and losing regardless of if if I thought you know I'm like always like oh a loss is a loss but when it comes to something like that when it's that like one sided I'm like dude that dude should be the champ you know For what I mean sure. he should be the champion right now. Like, that's, that last fight should have been a title defense. I, I think so. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I think so. My number eight is the female goat, Amanda Nunes. Nice, dude. I, you know what's funny, man? Like, oh, bro. She didn't, so I didn't, she didn't get my list. And I wanted to put her in my list so bad. Because I wanted to put a female in here. And, like. Well, of course, I'm not putting like Ronda Rousey you, or you something. Can. Yeah, you, you can. can. Like it's you know what I mean that that was that was whatever. But like she is, su- you know what I mean. She's such a beast. I she is not the most complete fighter I have ever seen in my life, but she is the most complete woman's fighter She's I have just, ever seen in my life. She, she has just crisp, beautiful boxing, great jujitsu great in the clinch the only so her last loss was against Kat Zingano yeah and since that loss the only fighter that has come close to challenging her is in my opinion the second best women's fighter in the world right now in Valentina Shevchenko yeah she's the only one that has come and she's fought Raquel Pennington who is a good fighter right she's she knocked out Chris Cyborg, she knocked <laughs> yeah. out Holly Holm. Yeah, she like we're running into a problem here. Like we were talking about that John Jones isn't like who else is there? She's about to fight Megan Anderson next month for uh, defending her championship, but it's just well, I'm like just af- I'm just afraid for the for that fight. You know what I mean? I don't know, man. Like 
there's like, I mean, no discredit to her, you know what I'm saying? But like this chick, Amanda Nunez, is just, she, I swear to God, man, like she just, I don't, I, I don't vote against her. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, man. Like, even with the whole cyborg thing, dude, like, I was like, oh, you know, this is going to be crazy. Like, it wasn't, what was so crazy about it was that the fact that they went in there scrapping and Amanda Nunez just handed, handed her an ass whooping, dude. Like, knocked her out bad. You know what I mean? Showed what type of, like, you know what I mean? Like, showed the, the, the showed how like how Ron the, the Ronda Rousey was hurtful to see like that hurt me to see Ronda get beat that way by and, Amanda Nunes and and the, the difference is so obviously I don't think anyone at this point in time would question clearly Amanda Nunes is the superior fighter to Ronda Rousey right. Ronda Rousey was vital to get women's MMA to where it is today she's the reason why Amanda Nunes is champ. Absolutely. And Amanda Nunes is the reason why women's MMA just continues to grow. Like, last night we had a women's fight as a co-main event for a pay-per-view. Like, who would have thought 10 years ago, We, you know what I mean? And again, Ronda Rousey is the reason why it is what it is today. Right, but right. Amanda Nunes is why it continues to grow today. Like... People are working to be like, I want to be the one to beat Amanda Nunes. Right. People are working towards that. And, I mean, I, I love it. I love women's MMA. Me it's too. so exciting. And, I mean, I'm not going to say that I was, like, that I'm, that I'm, like, that naive as I once was. Because there was a time where I'm like, Ronda Rousey's not going to get beat. You oh. know what I mean? I was like, you know, she's not going to get beat. And, like, once she got beat and then, like, you know what I mean? I think, I think that. I mean, you know, people have lives, you know, people have lives that lead up to their careers and stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? And and, and it's like, you know, some things just change as you get older, and you know what I mean? Your desires change, and what you want to do changes and stuff like that, and like, there's no discredit to Ronda Rousey as a fighter at all, man. She's a, you know, she's she's amazing. She's, she truly is amazing, and there was a time where I thought she was invincible, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right now, I feel like Amanda Nunes is invincible, and like... I don't know, you know what I mean, who's going to be that shockwave to change that, but, like, it's, you know what I mean, it, it could happen. It, it could happen, and, and if MMA has shown us one thing, it's that, it's not if, it's when. When, yeah, for sure. Like, and the time always comes. The, it always comes, you know, the, the Khabib's, uh, if he stays retired, that's an anomaly. I don't think that's something we're going to see too many more times in our lifetime. I think we will see another undefeated fighter again, but I don't think it's going to be common because the, the thing about MMA that's different than boxing is a couple losses in boxing can derail your entire career. Mm-hmm. A couple losses in MMA can be your saving grace because it shows you more so than in boxing what holes you have in your game to right. work on and improve in. So... Yeah, man, I just, I, I, she, she's great. I don't see, I don't see her losing to anyone that's currently in the UFC right now, but we'll see. We will see. Who is your <laughs> number seven? 
All right, so my number seven, um, I'm going to have to go with uh, Israel Adesanya. And I know you're like probably thinking, like, why? But he's in my seven because the dude... The dude is also, like, making his way up in the game. But, like, he's open for he's open for challenge. He's open for the challenges that, that will ultimately push him to be one of the greatest of all time, man. Like, if he were to fight John Jones, like he was, like, seeking to, bro, that would have been crazy. If he were, like, because he's a guy that I feel like could beat John Jones. Like, he's one of the guys that I feel like... He, if he wins this next fight at heavyweight, bro, like... You mean light heavyweight? Against, oh, light heavyweight. Yeah, my bad. I'm sorry. Against Jan Blachowicz, yeah. Yes. Like, dude, there's just no question that he he has he has a place on this list, man. Like, he's 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 made his mark in my eyes. So, when I was breaking it down, I was talking to you about this, uh, too, before the show. I had Israel Adesanya just outside of my top ten. Right. He may be the most complete striker I have ever seen in my life. He he he's damn near flawless on his feet. Right. His kicks, his punches, it, the angles, he absolutely if he's able to beat Jan Blahovic, he is absolutely at that what what would that put his record at? 22 and 0. 21 and 0. 21 and 0. 21 and 0. Absolutely. So I mean, he's 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 undefeated. 20 and 0 right now. And and the the opponents he's beaten. I mean, that's what I'm saying, man. The Paulo Costa fight was definitely underwhelming because we expected so much more. But you have to look at it like this. Up until that fight, what was our opinions of Paulo Costa? And Israel Adesanya made it look. Easy. Yeah, like I thought, Paulo Costa was is, is you know what I mean I'm not saying he's not a monster, but like I thought the dude was gonna go out there and like give this guy a fight. You know what I mean? A fight. Robert Whitaker was at one point we were saying is this the uh, greatest middleweight we've seen since Anderson Silva and Adesanya put his lights out. Yoel Romero was riding huge momentum. And granted, that fight was definitely not the most exciting fight we've ever seen in our lives. But how, compared to what he was coming into that fight versus what we saw in the fight, how exciting was Yoel Romero? Uh, oh, the, Kel- the Kelvin Gastelum fight. That was that one of the fight fights. That fight was ridiculous. That was one of the best fights I saw that year. He, and, and, and the thing is, is that Israel Adesanya, like, that was one of his fights that he showed adversity. You know what I mean? Because Kelvin, Kelvin Gastelum... Knocks people out, dude. And uh, he was hitting Israel Adesanya a lot. At, at one point in time, that fight could have gone either way. Yeah. At one point in time. Adesanya did pull away, and I definitely don't think it was a bad decision by any means. I think Adesanya definitely won that fight. But there was a time, probably about halfway through that fight, where you're thinking, oh, is Castle winning this thing? Right. And Adesanya came through, overcame adversity, and... Got the decision. Absolutely, and it was it was a, that was a great fight. That it, was a great it really fight. Was all right. Number seven for me is one of my personal favorite fighters, and he has the great wins and championships to back up the fact that he's on this list. Number seven for me is Captain America Randy Couture. 
is what he was able to do at the age he did it. Former three-time light heavyweight champion, former two-time heavyweight champion. I, I don't even know where to start with this man. He... What he was able to do as far as ground and pound goes. I used to think fighters like Mark Coleman, like Tito Ortiz, mastered the ground and pound. Right. This man took what they did to a whole nother level with his wrestling. He and and what at the time, obviously there have been fighters that have come along since then that have done things to surpass him on this list. But at the time he did it, what I thought made him a strong contender as the greatest fighter of all time. Remember when he beat Tim Sylvia for the heavyweight championship? Just yeah. a monstrous size advantage, man. And when he dropped him in the first round, did, did, did Tim Sylvia have anything positive in that fight? Dude... Uh, that that Randy Couture is another guy who like made me fall in love. You know what I mean? He was another guy that was just a part of the era that I came up watching and like MMA that made me fall in love with it even more. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, and then and then you look at the fight after that, and he he's well past forty at this time. I believe he was 43, 42 or forty three when he started his heavyweight title run. The, <laughs> so the, crazy. Dude. The, the, That's insane. Yeah, the, remember that his defense against Gabriel Gonzaga. Yeah. Oh my! Like that fight wasn't even close, and that, Gonzaga was just coming off of that head kick knockout of Krokop. Oh, he he destroyed he destroyed people. He did. He and then you know Brock Lesnar comes around. He did end up overthrowing Randy Couture, and I mean. Like we talked about, size really does matter. Right. Brock Lesnar was just a whole nother level of monster. Right. That he he just with his size and his skill set, he just matched up very well against Randy Couture. Yeah. And then what he does after that, he fought Minotaro Nogueira in a fight that I thought was much closer than what the scorecards indicated. I do think Nogueira won that fight, but as as far as skill goes. I thought Nogueira was clearly the better fighter at the time, and Couture made it look much closer than it was. And then Randy, in the final stage of his career, goes back down to light heavyweight, and then he ends his career with a win over Brandon Vera, with a win over Mark Coleman, goes back up to heavyweight to fight James Tony, and completely embarrasses James Tony in the boxer versus MMA fight that was that was ridiculous that was ridiculous it, it really was oh my god and then in in one of the most emotional endings to a career i can remember for me personally not only being such a fan but because of how devastating it was that knockout leota machida had against him yeah that but, but, but leota was you know what i mean making his run at that time man randy couture for the fact that he was in there at the age that he was, you know what I mean, competing against the people that he was and the wins that he had and everything he had accomplished, man. Like, it's you know what I mean. That's ridiculous, man. And what was he? Forty six when he when he retired. I, I, I think he was forty six at that time. Forty six years old, four years away from being fifty years old, fighting at the highest level. At the time, one of the two or three best light heavyweights in the world, dude. 
like if that's not an accomplishment, and it's sad because I have him written down, and I do have a number by him, but he's not going to make my list in my top ten. Unfortunately, but like Randy Couture was like a huge pull-in for me to love the sport for, you know what I mean? He just... It, I, I think most people who have been following the sport for a while... He's a Hall of Famer, bro. You 100%, know what I mean? Like, and and I think that we, we will all unanimously agree, even if you don't have him as a top 10 fighter of all time, he's got to be one of your top 10 favorites of all time. He was huge for the sport. I will always call him one of the GOATs. For sure. You know what I mean? Like, his, it wasn't just impactful. It was like, you know, he did what he did. And, oh there, there's God. a reason why his nickname was The Natural. Yeah. He was a natural talent and made made what he did look easy. And, yeah, I... He's always going to be one of my favorites of all time. And I honestly, unless we get a f- whole new wave of people that come in, I don't see him coming off of my top ten list anytime soon. Well, I, I mean, that's because, I mean, he like like he deserves to be, you know what I mean? Mm. He deserves to be recognized for, you know what I mean, what he's done in the sport. Like, he's he's just, he's amazing, man. Like, Randy Couture is, is a beast. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he did things. You know what I mean? He was he's he's like an old school guy. You know what I mean? He's obviously fine, but he still did things that made it more entertaining. Like you know, when he's spanking Tito's ass. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just doing that shit, just showing up and putting no, on a he put on a show. Knocked bro. out Chuck Liddell when Chuck Liddell was up and coming. Like he put on a show, man. Like that guy, he showed, You know what I mean? And he he owned his age. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He knew it. He's like, dude. He even said after the Tim Sylvia fight, "Not bad for an old man." Yeah, you yeah, know, you he, know he, he, he had fun with it. He did. He did. And but. I mean, he was so skilled, dude. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? No one could, I don't know. Regardless of his losses, like, he's, he's one of the GOATs, man. Who do you have at number six? Okay, so number six. This is, we, might, we might run into a little bit of a cahoots here. I think this is where it's going to start getting fun, folks. It is going to start getting fun right here. Uh, so, number six, I have, <laughs> I have Khabib at number six. Okay. So I have Khabib at number six because, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of title defenses, but he is undefeated. You know what I mean? He is undefeated. 29-0. and 0, You know what I'm saying? 29-0. and 0. That's amazing. And not only that, but the title defenses that he does have, regardless, so like, I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm gonna exclude like the whole like Conor McGregor thing because like everyone who thought that Conor McGregor was gonna put up a fight against Khabib like I didn't you know what I mean I thought that he was gonna maul Conor McGregor you and I both but did. guys like Justin Gaethje you know what I'm saying like who you were very high on coming into that fight. Dustin Poirier these guys that do things to other guys at the top level that like you know what I mean Khabib ran through these dudes. Just as easy as he did Conor McGregor. You know what I mean? Like easy, you said. Even though, easier. Yeah, even easier. And, and, and the way he showed, like, dude, it, and I'm, that's, that's an, I'm so grateful. I'm like, I'm, well, you know, what would have happened if we just saw Tony Ferguson versus Khabib? What would have happened if we saw, you know what I mean, Max Holloway versus Khabib, dude? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I I I don't I didn't want I wouldn't want to see that fight. I I wouldn't want to see, I mean the Tony fight I still want to see because I think, I there's history I, there, bro. They I, have to fight. And I, I, based off of these last two losses, 
I, I'm not ready to say that Tony Ferguson is done or that he's fallen off a cliff. I just... <sighs> Oliveira has been underrated and underappreciated for years. He... Because he's not considered a quote-unquote sexy fighter. His style isn't really that exciting, but he's, he's great. Yeah. Oliveira is great, so... Man, I, I'm not, re- I'm not giving up on Tony Ferguson yet. I'm not either. I'm not either, and and because I mean he he's another dude that just you know what I mean is just impressive, dude. Like with his skill set and like that gas tank too, man. Yeah. Have, have have we ever seen a fighter with a better gas tank? That he's nonstop pressure, nonstop. Even when he gets rocked, like he got rocked against Anthony Pettis, like like really the, bad. The the Diaz brothers have some of the best cardio in the game, but the difference is they're not the type of, I'm going to bring you this crazy pace. They're the type, I'm going to swarm you. I'm going to give you constant pressure, but I'm not going to like unload my gas tank from start to finish like Tony Ferguson. And it's like, we've seen fights, three round fights where he comes out swinging the entire time. And in round three, he hasn't slowed down a bit. And I think, I think that's, that's what, that's what makes the difference between, you know, a guy like Gaethje versus Khabib. And, you know what I mean? Gaethje did what he did to Tony Ferguson, but it would be a completely different fight if Ferguson fought Khabib because of that gas tank. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Gaethje couldn't take that pressure. Khabib could take – I mean, Ferguson could take that pressure from Khabib, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, he's not going to be ran out, of, ran out of his gas tank. Like, he's going to – He's going to be able to follow suit, well, man. He's going to be able to match it. And, and granted, Khabib has not been he, – he hasn't been challenged to the extent that a lot of people would like to see. Right. But he has been challenged. And say what you want about Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson is a damn good fighter, yeah, he, I, I think. And on the feet, Michael Johnson was kind of pressing Khabib. And he Khabib, hurt Khabib bad. And, and Khabib stood there, took it, weathered the storm – and he got the submission. But what's so impressive about it, though, is he's known for mauling guys. He's known for pinning up against the fence and doing work. But, like, he, I mean, like, he's, I think that, you know, people, like, don't credit him for, like, standing in there and He was outclassing Gaethje on the feet. On the feet, dude. He knocked down Conor McGregor with a punch. Yeah. Like, like he has stand-up. It's just he's so much stronger in his grappling and his wrestling. Of course, you're going to lean on what your biggest strength is. Right. Of course, and like, and when he gets in that mode, it's it's beast mode. You know, what yeah. I mean? I've never seen someone do it like him. Like it's beast mode. It's 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 over at that well, point for me. Well, well, folks, we're not going to get into it quite yet because the fact that Khabib is on his list is a plus. I just have a feeling it's coming though because I'm curious to see who he has ahead of Khabib. My, <laughs> my number six. Is Matt Hughes. Another guy who I have written down in a number by it, but is not going to be on my list. Wow. Another guy who's just, he's just, you know here, what I mean? He's here, another here, guy who's here the comes GOAT, the, man. Here, here comes the arguments, folks. He, he's another guy who's the GOAT, but if you look at it, I mean, you know, his record, man, like, I don't know. Unbelievable. He has an unbelievable record, man. Like, it, and you, you look at it, so his, his t- first... 45... Wins, which is fucking yes. insane. He, he was fighting. Nine losses. Before he got into the UFC, I think he was fighting like every two or three months. He was 
just the dude survived a train wreck. Like <laughs> if, that, if that doesn't show you what type yeah. of warrior he is, he he has been in some of my favorite fights of all time. Both of the Frank Trigg fights were just classics. Yeah, the he, pick up and run across the octagon. Yeah, classic for sure. Uh, he was in that uh, classic fight against uh, BJ Penn, where he, he, BJ ended up beating him for the title. Yeah. But, I mean, in the rematch, Matt Hughes won the rematch. Uh, he, he, he was in that trilogy with George St. Pierre, where the first fight wasn't even close. That was Hughes still in his prime. And I, I think GSP caught him as he was leaving his prime. The second fight, though... Up until the head kick, which obviously Matt Hughes lost that by knockout, it it was close up until that point. GSP caught him with a beautiful head kick right. and went down. The third fight, though, I mean, the third fight, GSP was clearly coming. He he right. wanted that rematch against M- Matt Sarah, and then to end end his career, the three wins he had against they, they were basically they were those fights that we see we see a lot now where it's just like okay like. We appreciate what you've done for the sport, so we're just gonna we're gonna give you these fights that aren't necessarily easy or guaranteed wins, but they're opponents that we're match letting, up with you well. We're letting you fight, basically. We're letting so you fight. The, yeah. the the Matt Sarah fight when they were coaches on the Ultimate right. Fighter that that was that was a pretty good and fun fight. Yeah, for sure. Henzo Gracie, I I enjoyed that fight quite a bit, and then the Ricardo Almeida fight, and then he ended his career with the two. Two knockout losses to BJ Penn and Josh Koscheck. The the dude was just you. You cannot tell the story of the UFC without talking about Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes was such a huge piece. See, when you break it down like that, like it makes me want to take Khabib off my list and then put Matt. Hughes take in him it. off you your list, I mean? bro. Like, be, just you know what? You know why? A big a big thing about it is is because he wants to retire. You know what I mean? Like Matt Hughes. He stood in there for so long, bro. Like, you know what I mean? And he's another dude, like... And then, you know, he has another way of, of just, like, impressing people. And, and, you know what I mean? He has, like, class... You know, what he did against... Uh, Grace, you know, Gracie, right? Hoist Gracie. Hoist Gracie. Yeah. You know what I mean? What he said, he was like, it wasn't jujitsu being on his, uh, you know, American wrestling. Shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he was an entertaining guy as well, He bro. was. He was a talker. He was a talker, but he also backed it up. He definitely did. He, he so so obviously, <laughs> well, we'll get into it. We'll obviously get into it. But Khabib's obviously up on your list a little bit, a higher number. Am I wrong? Who? Matt Hughes. So I, I, Matt Hughes. I gave him the credit. He was going to be on the list. I took him off. He's another guy who I just see as one of the goats of the game. You know what I mean? Um, I'm, I'm glad he made your list. You know, I'm glad these guys are making your list because, like, I so badly wanted to have them on. Like, I have them written down. You know what I'm saying? I had Randy Contour. I mean, I had, you know what I mean? I have other names, but... There, there's just some guys that we, we look back on it now. Obviously, the guys like Hoist Gracie and whatnot, they wouldn't excel in MMA today. Yeah. But the, the old school guys that I have on this list are also part of the reason why they're also on this list is because I think today they would still succeed in MMA. I think they were so good during their time that I think they would still be competitive today. And who's to say, you know, the, the, the game changes naturally that they wouldn't 
learn more about what MMA is today and pick up more skill sets. You know what I mean? Matt, Matt Hughes, everyone who trained with Matt Hughes would always say, you know, it's funny you bring up the uh, Matt Hughes quote of oh, that wasn't jujitsu, that was American wrestling. Yeah. Everyone who uh, trained jujitsu that trained with Matt Hughes would always say, this dude has black belt level jujitsu. He just does, doesn't want it. He, does, he wouldn't wear a belt. You know well, what he, I mean? He, he won that fight with a Kimura? Did he win that fight with a Kimura? Uh, uh, he won that fight with an uh, uh, armbar, I believe. Okay. I, I think. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm... I, I, I know it was by submission. Yeah, I, I, I know that. He won that fight. I have it right here written down in my notes. Uh, oh, no. He did not win. He, he won by TKO. That's right. Okay. Because I remember now he had the uh, Kimura locked in tight and you thought his arm was going to snap. And then he finally just let it go and started, started, started yeah. beating him up. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's one of the goats, man. Like, for sure. Rightfully so. He's on, on your list for sure, man. I, I'm actually disappointed in myself. Who do so, you have at number five? Okay. So at number five, I have... Um, God, man, this is so hard. I'm gonna have to say BJ Penn. Wow. So, I strongly disagree with you, and you know how much I love some BJ Penn. BJ Penn was number 10 on my list until last night. I just think, looking back on BJ Penn... He had some unbelievable performances, but they they were they weren't as significant looking back on them now. You you know what I mean? I mean he had the two losses against George St. Pierre. Granted, the first fight was BJ could have easily won that fight. The right. second one though was clearly George St. Pierre. Uh, yeah, man. What what what? what what puts BJ so high on the list and ahead of Khabib, nonetheless? I mean, just because of... Uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's another guy who's, like, kind of just, like, a pioneer of the sport. You know what I mean? But, like, I mean, BJ Penn, regardless of what he's done in the UFC, man, like, that dude competed at all different weight classes. Like, he fought Leona Machida at 205. Like, that's crazy talk. You know what I mean? The dude was a madman. In UFC, though, like... He makes my top five greatest of all time. I think just simply, I don't know. Like, it could be a biased thing, but, like, I don't know. I just, I love BJ Penn, man. You know what I mean? Like, and he's another guy, like, it's just, like, certain things that he did in the time of, like, where I was, like, watching it. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, if you, if you beating look- up Diego Sanchez. Like, he beat up my one of my favorite fighters at the time. And, and I was just like, oh, my God. And, and you, you look at it also. I mean, like I said, he definitely had his run of unbelievable performances. You look at the Sean Shirk fight. You look at the yeah. Joe, Joe Stevenson fight. Yeah. The, the Kenny Florian fight. He, he definitely had his run. I just look back on it now to a point where when he was dethroned by Frankie Edgar, the first fight, it was a clear win for Frankie Edgar. And then in the rematch, Frankie beats him even worse. And it, it, you just start to question, like, what? Uh, and another thing a lot of these guys had in common, granted, 
uh, Sean Shirk was more of a wrestler and stand-up fighter, but Joe Stevenson and Kenny Florian, he beat those guys on the ground. BJ Penn was one of the highest-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts the UFC has ever seen. What... I, I guess what I'm trying to say is what did he do that separates himself so far from the guys you previously named on your list? Well, first of all, like, it, it sucks to say, like, that he didn't, he never threw in the towel. Like, he, he's just, he's a guy who loves to fight. You know what I mean? And he stayed in there as long. We obviously, BJ Penn is a guy who I almost didn't put on the list, but I put him up as high as I did because, like, he deserves it. I feel like... Throughout the years, we've obviously watched his legacy in some way get tarnished because of the losses that he's taken. And 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 when we talk about this list, that that we're not including that. You know what I mean? We're right. talking about guys when they were in what their they've prime. done. Yeah, like and we've watched B.J. Penn in person. You know what I mean? Fight Yair uh, Yair Rodriguez, and, and that was the most. <laughs> it, <laughs> it was terrible. It was, it was the most disappointing thing to see and hurtful thing. Like my, I got you know what I mean. It's hard not to get emotional. To watch a guy like BJ Penn is one of my favorite fighters. Right. Um, you know what I mean? I don't know. I think just for the love of the sport and just for, like, the part that he played in, like, I, I put him high up on the list. Um, you know what I mean? It, I'm not saying that it's justified based off of, you know what I mean, what you've named. So, like, maybe I, I, I think I'm taking an L right now on this list. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, you know, you've obviously showed, like, the, the brighter points because there's someone on this list who I'm not going to name, who probably should have been named as well. And we'll, we'll discuss it afterwards. I but think I'll, I know who it is. Yes. yes. But I want to continue to continue to go further okay. now because now going up from here, you know what I mean? It's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit better. It'll get a little bit interesting. BJ Penn, man, like, I don't know. He, he He's he's someone who I just always thought was, was great, man. The, it was the, amazing. The one thing I will say about BJ Penn and the reason why I, he was at my number 10 up until last night was – I think you and I would agree, as of right now, the best division in the UFC is the lightweight division. Yes, for sure. BJ Penn is the reason why we have the lightweight division today. Yeah. He wasn't the original champion, Jens Pulver was, right. but that belt was vacant for years up until Sean Shirk won it. When Sean Shirk was stripped, BJ Penn came in, and he, he was just so exciting, man. He... he you, you you can't begin the story of the lightweight division without BJ Penn. Absolutely. And I also think that, like, it's just, I, I don't know, man. Like, when we talk about people, like, going going into different weight classes, like, he just, you know what I mean? He did a lot of that. You know what I'm saying? He did a lot of that before it was actually recognized for what it was. You know what I mean? Like, he he I, attempted he, to become the first simul- simultaneous yeah. champion in the uh, – George St. Pierre rematch. Yeah. yeah. And he just, I mean, he did it gracefully, man. Like, his career was great up until, you know what I mean? I think he should have called it, you know? Oh, he definitely should have. Because there was a point where he retired, you know what I mean? He was retiring, and he should have stayed retired from that point on. You know what it, I'm saying? It, it's definitely hard to get those bad performances out of your head. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like, and one of them that just kills me we, Joey and I have a friend who always talks crap to me. It, it, he, he's the definition of a troll. And <laughs> I, I know you know who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, 
was watching one of BJ's last fights with me against Ryan Hall, who's a very, very high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as well. And he he uh, locked in this submission to where BJ almost instantly tapped out. And the first thing he looks at, does is look at me and says, oh, yeah, that's the greatest black belt uh, in UFC history, right? And it's just like in his prime – you know, as you get older, you naturally slow down. That's just, it's just how father time works, right? Unless your name is Tom Brady. Uh, <laughs> you should get the troll on <laughs> to have that discussion uh, with you. Uh, but in his prime, there's no doubt in my mind, that heel hook wouldn't have worked on BJ Penn. He just, Ryan Hall saw an opening, took advantage of it, props to him. You, you need to take what you're given. But... It's, it's really hard to justify that test because to people like that, all they think of when they hear the name BJ Penn is this guy who's lost eight, nine fights in a row. It's, yeah. it's really hard to get, remind them this guy at one point in time was world-class top notch. Yeah. So BJ Penn, I love BJ Penn, man, but I, yeah, I do disagree with you right there. My number five is... Khabib Nurmagomedov. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, and the reason he's not higher on my list is for reasons you also named. You know, he's only been, even though he's 29 and 0, he's only been at the top for a short period of time. But the, the dominance we've seen, man, like, I, I, I know on the official scorecards, one of the judges gave Conor McGregor a round against Khabib Nurmagomedov, but I know you. You and I agree with the fact that in in that third round, Khabib looked like he was kind of just like coasting, like okay, I'm gonna take a quick breathe. Like it it was it was a lot like the Floyd Mayweather boxing match against Conor McGregor to a point where folks at home listening, if you think for one second that Conor McGregor was standing toe to toe with one of the greatest boxers of all time, you're fooling yourselves if you don't think Floyd Mayweather allowed Conor McGregor to go to ten rounds. When Floyd wanted to turn it on, he turned it on and he dominated. Yeah. You saw the same thing with Khabib. As, so, as soon as that fourth round came, Khabib was like, okay, I'm done. Shot him for his takedown, mauled him like he had been the first and second round, and submitted him. It was domination that I, 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 I still think, think about it, man. Like <laughs> Him out, outclassing Gaethje on the feet. This this is a level of dominance that is very very hard to think of anyone who's come close to repeating. You know what I mean? Even John Jones, even Anderson Silva, GSP, all these guys were not this level of dominant. He he is a different type of human being, man. He truly truly is a different type of human being, and it's it's amazing what he's done in the sport. I think it's just. You know what I mean? I mean, he's he's a human being at, at the same time. You know what I mean? And it's hard because it's like, I you know what I mean? I, I, I was betting against Khabib in the last, you know, fight that he had with, with Gaethje. And, like, after he did that, man, I'm like, dude, I, I can't bet against this kid. And Gaethje is a high-level collegiate wrestler. Yeah. He, he's no slouch when it comes to, to his ground game. I'm actually, I'm upset that he's not in the... In, even in the, you know what I mean, 
conversation of having you know what I mean a, a title fight right now. To be honest, yeah, no, he he definitely deserves it. He yeah. more, more so than Conor McGregor. More so than Conor McGregor, and more so than Michael Chandler as well. Oh, for sure. You know what I'm saying I don't even know why they're discussing that, but um, it is what it is. It's part of the game, you know. There's there's excitement that goes behind it all, and but I, I, we'll see Gaethje again for sure in a title, I think. But yeah, Khabib. The thing is, is that like the what he's shown in the time that he's you know what I mean been champ. I you just I can't bet I, he's another guy that like he's proven to me that like I can't bet against him you know what I mean yeah um, I would love to see him continue I'd love to see him continue I, I'm it still sucks to to not see him want to fight man I'm still hoping for at least one more man because when when he retired I remember you and I looking at each other just being like there's still so much more he could give there's still so many except he he could easily move up and challenge Usman. I'm not saying he'd easily beat him or anything like that, but he could easily walk around at one step because Khabib's he has struggled in the past making 155. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he he's a bigger fighter. He yeah. could, he could make 170 easy and probably be even more dominant. The dude is stacked. Like when he goes in a fight, guys, he's stacked, man. Like you know what I mean? He he and to have that type of the pressure that he does have, like yeah. It's it's crazy to see a guy like that, you know what I mean? Run rounds around guys the way he does. You no, know no what I'm doubt. And no press doubt. him because, like, it doesn't, like, whatever position you're on, whether you're, you know what I mean, controlling someone on the ground or getting controlled, like, if you're getting controlled, like, yeah, it's taking a lot out of you, but you're throwing a lot into it if you're controlling someone on the ground as well. You know yeah. what I mean? You're putting a lot of effort into it. And the way he is, you know what I mean? He's smashing these dudes, like. And he's another guy who. He's beginning to change the game right now. And the, re the what I mean by that is I've noticed, remember what a big deal Dominic Cruz and Joe Rogan were making in the Conor McGregor fight when Khabib was wrapping his legs up? Yeah. I've noticed a lot more fighters attempting to do that. It's very, very effective. And he's the first guy that I can remember implementing that in his actual game plan. He's not the first guy I've ever seen do it, but time in, time out, he always said, I'm going to get you to the ground, tie up those legs, establish dominance, and maul you to death. Yeah. He, I, I think Khabib has started to change the modern game. And he's taking, you know what I mean? He takes away your whole, he takes away half of your body. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? And the, like, uh, the other thing that I still cannot put enough emphasis before we move on to your number four, Joey, what amazes me the most about Khabib and why I wish he'd continue to fight so he could go even higher up this list, I have yet to see fighters who know exactly what a man is going to set out and do to them, train for six to eight weeks to prepare for it, and come fight day, they still cannot stop it. They still cannot stop Khabib knowing what he's going to do to them, working day in, day out to try to get better at it, and still he comes in and dominates. Yeah, because they get in the octagon with him, and you see, you see, like, it's not even awareness. It's more about being cautious, you know what I'm saying? And you see these guys make, you know what I mean? Uh, they're so afraid of the shoot. They're so afraid of him shooting in for, the, you know, for their legs. And yeah. They're just... You know what I mean? They're like, it's almost like it's, it's baffling for them that, you know what I mean? Oh, you know what I mean? Oh, he didn't shoot. You know what I mean? He stuck me. 
You know I mean, whether it was with a jab or overhand right or left, and then you know I mean, and then all of a sudden this guy's throwing a knee to my face. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, and I'm I'm starting to run around the ring, and he's chasing me down. Like, you know what I mean? Still trying to Does hit not me. Let up. And you know what I mean, and then all of a sudden, when I'm least expecting it, it's like he goes in for that shot, bro, and gets it every mm-hmm. time, dude. Like, yep. the dude's amazing, and like you said, that yeah, wrapping the legs up the way he does. You know I mean, how dude, these guys are trying to get their legs out, and like they're also getting punched in the face, right? Hard, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh my god, like to see him do what he does to guys when he has them locked up like that, it's. It's it's painful, man. It's pain. Like, I'm like, man, I wouldn't want to go through that no. type of pain. No. That's that's just that's uh that's tragic. You know what I mean? Like that like these guys are getting they're getting demolished at that. Like they're getting owned, you know right. what I mean? They're getting owned and, and he's uh yeah, I don't know. I he should <laughs> I hate you for this, man. Because this is this is difficult. Who but, do you have at your number four? Okay. My number four, I got Demetrius Johnson. So I got Demetrius Johnson because, I mean, another guy who's actually underrated, man. You know what I mean? I, I feel like Demetrius Johnson is completely underrated. But, I mean, he has 27 wins, you know, three losses and, and one title. But he has 11 title defenses. Yeah, 11 title defenses, man. And I'm going to intervene right here because I think this may be one of the only – uh, fighters for the rest of the way that you and I agree on. I also have Demetrius Johnson at my number four. Uh, yeah, for sure. Which, uh, which I'm happy about. The guy <laughs> was just a whole nother level of dominant, man. I always tell people that Demetrius Johnson is the most complete fighter I have ever seen in my life. And what I mean by that, obviously, I don't think he's the best of all time because he's not number one, but there are literally zero holes in his game. He does everything at such a high level, man. Phenomenal boxer, phenomenal kickboxer, phenomenal wrestler, jiu-jitsu, muay thai. Like, he does everything at such a high level. He doesn't do everything great. But he does everything very, very well. Yeah, and he's just—he's had—he's had amazing moments in his whole career. You know what I mean? Like his highlight reels could just go on for days, man. Like, and he's done things that people haven't done in that octagon. That's what what I'm saying. They might have done it like in a training session or in a sparring session, or you know what I mean, rolling around doing jujitsu. But like, he's done things in that octagon people can't do in that octagon. And everyone's very high on Henry Cejudo. Rightfully so. I'm a fan of Henry Cejudo. He's, he's a great fighter. But the first time he fought Mighty Mouse, knocked out cold. And I think you and I still agree, Mighty Mouse won that second fight. Yeah. It was razor close. Yeah. But I had it 3-2 Mighty Mouse. And Mighty Mouse finished that fight injured. I, he I, wasn't at 100%. It's it's hard like not to say like I think that they were just looking for some new you know what I mean some new well, new excitement in that weight class like well I I think I think you have a point there because I mean Mighty Mouse was looking to get paid rightfully so he yeah. had, he had just passed Anderson Silva for most consecutive title defenses in UFC history he was not making big money like these other champions were I mean he he was the best champion in the UFC 
and they were having him headline fight nights for title defenses. They weren't even giving him main event pay-per-views. Right. He was very underappreciated by Dana White, which is why they made the move, the trade, him for Ben Askren. Which is um, which is crazy to me. It, it's it's mind boggling, and that's one I was telling Joe, Joey. For those of you listening at home, Joey and I get into it a lot when it comes to our MMA opinions, and I like to think that I call a lot of it very very well. Not saying he doesn't at, by any means, but I like to think for myself I call a lot of my opinions very well. The one that Joey hit a home run on and I completely struck out on was our takes on Ben Askren. Joey from day one said from the highlights I've seen, Ben Askren looks like an amateur fighter. And I I said from, from the get-go, I just think he was fighting to the level of his opponents because let's be honest, uh, no disrespect whatsoever, but one championship does not have the level of fighters that the UFC has. So I think a lot of the times, just like in a football game, you know, or a basketball game, a lot of the times you play down to the level of your opponent. I think fighting is a lot of the same thing. So I, I didn't really look into that, but the Robbie Lawler fight could not have been a worse call by Herb Dean, one of the few he's ever made. Right. That, that was a, a terribly officiated fight, but we give, we give Herb a pass, right? Because I mean, I think he's still the best in the business. Absolutely, and then that, and, and and with what was seen from different angles, like I, you can understand how he. Came I out. can understand why he made the call. You know what I mean? But like, it should have went on, like based off. You know, I don't know, and, man. And like, then for Jorge Masvidal to li- basically end end Ben Askren's life. Yeah. And then the Damian Maya fight. I mean, and, and here we have it, Demetrius Johnson is still tearing it up in one championship. Yeah. But it, see the thing the thing is is I think Demetrius Johnson like you said like I think he felt un, un, unappreciated. You know what I mean? Cuz like I mean the dude he was dude he he's exciting. He did like, he was an exciting fighter, man. He always put on and and not only that but like I mean, he was a champion. You know what I mean? He should be treated as a champion, dude. Like he, I don't. I I, I haven't really caught. I haven't really like kept up with Demetrius Johnson and what he's done in in the whole one champion. Uh, he's three and zero. Three and zero. Three and zero. He's he uh won their uh fly flyweight uh championship their Grand Prix. Yeah. But the. The excitement that you talked about with uh, Demetrius Johnson, do you remember <laughs> uh, against uh, it? it I, I, I think it was Horiguchi was his last name. Literally one second left in the fifth round, and Demetrius Johnson sinks in that flying armbar. Yeah, submission. that flying armbar submission, and not only that, but worked the kid the whole fight. Literally the whole fight, it, it was kind of like the Khabib thing I was talking about. It's kind of like he's like, okay, like I've had my fun. Like I, I don't want this to go to a decision, even though I'm clearly going to win it. Yeah. I, I want the finish. Yeah, he did. Like Khabib did that to um, Alaquinta, right? Alaquinta, yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he, did, the, he did it to the, him. He played with him. You know what I mean? That whole five rounds. And like that's exactly what Demetrius Johnson did to this dude. He just showed everyone like 
no one's on my level. You know what I mean? Right. And like you said, Henry Cejudo, man, like, lovely guy. He's from where we're from. You know what I mean? Right. Murderville, man, Arizona, baby, like, represent. And then I'll always, like, go for him. But, like, I, you know what I mean? I don't know, man. Like, that, like you said, that fight was super close, dude. Like, uh, Demetrius Johnson, man, like, if, if he's not on your list based off of, you know, what – I mean, he's still fighting right now. You mean just because he's not fighting in the UFC? I mean, I wouldn't fight in the UFC if I was him either. You know what I'm saying? He's probably getting paid. He's probably, you know, he's doing his thing. But what he did in the UFC, amazing, man. Amazing. Truthfully amazing, bro. 100%. Who's your number three? George St. Pierre. My number three is George St. Pierre as well. George okay. St. Pierre, yep. What? What? What can't you say about GSP? It, he's he is for a lot of people who I don't want to say necessarily are newer to the sport, but aren't quite as familiar with his career as a whole. I think not only the Johnny Hendricks fight itself, but the way he stepped away p- put a sour taste in people's mouths when it comes to George St. Pierre. Yeah. But, I mean, the dude, he's done so much, you know what I mean? But, like, it it does suck that, like, he came in and he was like, oh, I'm going to get this title. And he got the title, you know what I mean? Rightfully so, though. Like, it's GSP, you know what I'm saying? Like, so when he comes in and he's like, I want to get this title, and then he beats Michael Bisping the way he did, but then just to kind of walk away from it, you know what I mean? And it was like... Prior to that, that shit that happened with Do- Do- Johnny Hendricks, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he got... And, and, and granted, I know you and I have kind of gone back and forth. I, I'm interested to hear, hear where you stand with it present day. But I've watched that Johnny Hendricks fight yeah. easily 10, 12 times. I've, I have George St. Pierre barely winning that fight three rounds to two. I, that's me. I think I think GSP won three of those rounds, and I don't think the two rounds Hendricks won were dominant enough to warrant a ten eight. So here's what I will say: when it comes to, when it came down to that fight, it was the shock value of GSP getting touched as many times as he did in a way we've never seen before. In a way we've never seen before, and it was the you know what I mean the interview after with him you know what I mean being completely just he, he looked ab- shaken. He didn't know, you know what I mean? He didn't know, like, I felt like the kid, the guy didn't even know where he was at. You know what I'm saying? And that was, so it was the shock value of that that made me think that, like, Johnny Hendricks won that fight. You know what I mean? And then the surprise of, like, Johnny Hendricks even saying, like, oh, you know what I mean? Everything that kind of went into it, and I think in the heat of the moment, I thought Johnny Hendricks won that fight. Now, as we discussed it, I remember vividly you and I re-watching that fight after having that conversation. And you pointed out, what you did point out, like I actually, uh, I actually jumped board with you. I jumped on board with you. I'm like, yeah, you know, it, like he edged that fight. You know what I'm saying? GSP did edge that fight. Um, you know what I mean? But I do think it was close enough though to warrant a rematch. Yeah, personally, yeah. I just because you know we we have these champions that were so dominant as champions that if they if and when they lose the title that warrants a rematch. But when you you're as dominant as GSP has been. And you win a fight that was closer than any fight you've ever fought before. I also think that type of fight warrants a rematch. Yeah, and and and, 
and it, and it falls hand in hand with what we talked about earlier with the whole adversity thing. You know what I mean? He faced adversity in that moment, and like, well, I mean, he rained dom- he rained dominance upon people, but like. Even even before that, though, I mean, GSP has lost two fights in his career, but you want yeah. to talk about adversity? He's avenged both of those losses. Yeah. So he, he overcame adversity. Yeah. I remember when he fought John Fitch, dude. That was like... <laughs> I, remember, I remember that night of watching that John Fitch fight and just being mind-blown at how amazing he did. You know what I mean? How amazing he was, dude. He was just flawless in that fight. Flawless. You know what I mean, amongst many other fights that he's had, you know, right. but yeah, he's definitely he's definitely in my top three as of right now because, and who knows, man, GSP might walk back in that octagon like it's a fleeting thing, dude. He definitely is young enough and still has. I mean, the Bisping fight, you can say what you want about Bisping. His his grappling and his wrestling has never been his strong suit, but. Bisping is a scrapper. Bisping yeah. doesn't care what you're good at. He's going to go in there and... It was and, hard not to have him on this list as well, just because I love Bisping oh, I, so much. I love Bisping, too. If you if you want to talk to me about a top ten list of guys who will bring you a fight, Bisping, you you could definitely make an argument he's number one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, and then and like to see I, what he's I, done. I, I mean, Dana White even said it. Remember the terrible uh, fight, Woodley versus Maya? And... Yeah. and uh, post-fight press conference, Dana's like, Woodley's not getting GSP. Bisping is. And they're like, why? He's like, because I know Bisping's going to fight. Yeah. Like, B- Bisping will not back down yeah. from a fight. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, GSP is definitely, definitely number three. And then I know, yeah, I know this is what's going to lead into the, the ultimate talk of the, the podcast. Folks, this is where it's going to get interesting. So... Joey, you have Anderson Silva as number two all time. (laughs) And I have John Jones. And Joey has John Jones as number one. And I have Anderson Silva as number one. Yep. Knowing that, folks, we're not going to talk about why each one's number two and each one's number one. We're going to talk about, we're going to try to tell you why said fighter is the greatest of all time. Joey... Why do you think John Jones is the greatest of all time? Okay. So, I will say John Jones is the greatest of all time because simply because and I'm just going to put it put it like this. John <laughs> This is so difficult. Dude. He has 11 title defenses. Mm-hmm. Anderson Silva has 10 title defenses. Now, Anderson Silva has fought a lot more people. He has had a lot more fights. UFC record 16 consecutive victories. And here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. But it's hard because Anderson Silva... Now, I will say that... But, I mean, they were in the UFC around the same time. You know what I mean? They were in the UFC around the same time, but, like, it didn't... I, it's, it's not saying that Anderson Silva was at a point where he was, like, kind of already in his expiration. I, I, I think Anderson Silva's prime was as John Jones was 
uh, coming into his own. Bef- it was it was probably around the times where like he fought Stefan Bonner, right. Matt Hamill, th- right. things like that. Right, and the Matt Hamill is the only loss he has on his record, which uh, which uh, wasn't even like and, it was and, a disqualification loss. And folks, I'm not, I'm not trying to play downplay John Jones's career by any stretch, and nor is Joey trying to downplay Anderson Silva's career by any stretch. So I'm gonna. I'm going to speak facts, so is Joey. I agree 100%. John Jones should not have lost that fight. It was a BS call by the worst referee in MMA history, Steve Mazzagatti. (laughs) That should have easily just been a warning and said, hey, you know, and we saw bad calls like that all the time. Remember the uh, Brock Lesnar-Frank Mir fight where uh, Brock Lesnar got the point taken for strikes in the back of the head? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He killed all momentum for Brock Lesnar, and that allowed Frank Mir to sink in that submission. Right. So, yeah, John Jones was robbed. I just, I feel like John Jones, man, I don't, he's continuing, he's continuing to win. He's continuing to, and like you said, man, if he goes up to heavyweight, and, and takes that belt, or if he goes up and competes in heavyweight and wins fights, bro, like they, it's just he, I, he has it. You know what I mean? It's it's also hard because Anderson Silva is one of my favorite fighters, dude. Always has been. I love watching Anderson Silva. You know what I mean? After watching him come back from the whole Chris Weidman situation, after he snapped his leg in half, you know, like I always like had something invested in Anderson Silva, but like there was times where. I bet against him, you know what I mean, and that's based off of that's that 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 was definitely me betting against Anderson Silva at any time was probably me being biased, you know what I'm saying? Like the whole Nick Diaz thing, and you know what oh, I mean? I was 100%. I was like, I want Nick Diaz to win that fight, you know? I wanted you know other people to win these fights, but like John Jones is continuing in his career, and I will say this also, like I mean he. The only thing that really takes away from John Jones is the fuck-ups that he's had along the way. And, and that's something that's very hard for a lot of people. Uh, I try when making these lists, you know, to look at things just based off of what you do in the cage. You, you know what exactly. I mean? But the thing about it is John Jones is mistakes that he made outside of the cage impacted him inside of the cage. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. 100% had he not made those mistakes, he probably could have had a legitimate shot at breaking Anderson Silva's uh, most consecutive title defense record. Maybe his most consecutive... I mean, he could still technically win, uh, break his record for most consecutive wins, but that has to take, take into consideration. I mean, he had... What was it? Two two fights called off because of uh, the uh, elevated testosterone ster- steroids he tested for the estrogen blockers. Right. Uh, I mean, his mistakes did impact his performance in the cage. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. And 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 that's what's that's that's. But but the the, the thing about it also is how crazy it is. He on interviews. I I can't remember if it was the Gustafson fight or the Teixeira fight. He said point blank, uh, I, was, I wasn't I was even taking training seriously. I 
I was partying up until yeah. you know, the day of. So it's just, it m- makes you think like if you just set your mind to it. And that's why I think if he wins the, the heavyweight championship, right. he, there's, there's no debating it anymore. Like right. I, I'm hanging on by a thread to yeah. Anderson Silva is the greatest of all time. Right. But it's it's so it's too close for comfort. Right. And, and and I think that that's like where where I cut ties with the whole Anderson Silva being on my number one of the list because because I mean like if we like I mean if I'm being honest with you all we've always had this debate, we've always had this discussion, but like clearly, you know what I mean, we agreed on four and three. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is awesome. I didn't actually didn't expect that. But like other places in the list, like you show, you know what I mean, to where, you know, you're you're the, like you 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 are a sports connoisseur. You are the person with more information. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a fan. You know what I mean? Right. I'm a huge fan. I know my shit. You know what I mean to an extent. But like, there there's no you've made me want to change my list as we go along, except for the last. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Top four. That we've had, but like I cut ties with Anderson Silva being the greatest of all time based off of the same thing that like it's it's the same thing as BJ Penn man like I've seen his legacy kind of go down the drain a little bit as he continues to fight now it doesn't matter because like I still love seeing it it's still entertaining but the reality of it is is that these are the same fights that that are given to him based off of, like, you know what I mean, the same fights that Matt Hughes was given his last three. You know what I mean? Based off here's, his name. Here's a fight just to fight. You know what right. I mean? And these new cats are just, like, showing him, like, you the, know. The game is past The game is past your, it's, 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 it's over now. And John Jones is still competing at this level. So, I mean, I know that, I know it doesn't change your heart, it doesn't change your perspective or your mind that he's the greatest of all time, but, like, I do respect the fact that, you know what I mean. You're you're a man who calls it like it is, and you're a man who says who says it based off of, you know what I mean, based off of what it what it really is. And the reality of it is, is if he competes at heavyweight, wins, and if he gets a belt at heavyweight, like there's there's no there's no doubt about it, man. John Jones is the greatest fighter of all time. <laughs> like, and. Dana White said John Jones is the greatest fighter of all time in the UFC. He he did. He did. And I'm not just saying this to try to help my, my cause or anything like that, but a lot of what Dana White says nowadays, I tend to just th- dust under the rug. You right. know what I mean? Dana White is, over the years, has become more about business. Yeah. And, I mean... John Jones is still one of the biggest draws, if not the biggest draw in the UFC. It's his responsibility as the UFC president to build up that's his, true. His, his top fighters. That's true. No, that's true. I mean, and that's a that's a good way to put it, for sure. Absolutely. But for me, what makes Anderson Silva the greatest of all time? We have seen fights where John Jones comes in and dominates, but never to the level of Anderson Silva. Remember the Chris Lieben fight. Remember both Rich Franklin fights. Remember the Dan Anderson fight. 
I mean... The Forrest Griffin fight, the, dude, I, oh I, my god, that was and, embarrassing. And that's honest. what I was going to get to next, and the reason why I'm waiting to see how he does in uh, the next weight class, we saw Anderson Silva also move up in weight and dominate there also. Yeah. The, the James Irvin knockout, right. remember that nasty cut? Yeah. I mean, he looked like he was in the Matrix when he fought Forrest Griffin. He the the Stefan Bonner fight and what I will say so the rain was over in the Chris Weidman fight and I try really hard it's really hard as a sports fan to not play the whole what if game but you have to like Joey was saying you have to call it like it is if you call it like it is Anderson Silva won the first round of the first Weidman fight mm-hmm and he pulled a lot of the same antics that he pulled throughout his title reign of showboating. Like, come on, hit me. The Damian Maya fight, for example, where he was basically showboating the entire time. And Maya clearly was too scared to try to engage in anything because Anderson Silva is the greatest counter striker I've ever seen in my life. Agreed. He loves to counter. Right. Weidman was the first fighter ever to when Silva put his hands down and was like, come on, hit me said okay right. and hit him and S- Silva was out. Right. Mistake on Silva. The rematch, again, first round, Silva won the first round and he was getting the better of Weidman in the second round until that leg snapped. Both losses for Anderson Silva, but facts are facts. He was winning those fights before one, he pulled some stupid shit and two, right. he had the bad luck of his leg snapping. And then, as far as overcoming adversity, like I talk about, John Jones, call it like it is, I, you, you can call it overcoming adversity, but he's had two fights to where could have gone either way. The first Gustafson fight, and I, and I know that's a little bit tainted because in the rematch, Jones clearly outworked Gustafson. Yeah. Like, it wasn't he, even yeah, remotely he, close. He beat Gustafson up. And then, uh, this most recent fight that he had against... Uh, uh, Reyes? Dominic Reyes. Yeah. And even before that, the uh, Tiago Santos fight. Yes. He's had some razor-close fights. T- tell me when Silva was ever in a close fight that came to a decision and the overcoming adversity Chael Sonnen in that first fight won virtually every second of that round or yeah, of he, that fight. He dominated. Anderson and, Silva. and then when Anderson Silva saw, I need, I need to dig deep. He pulled out one of the greatest submissions I've ever seen literally come out of nowhere. Right. No, I agree with you, man. It's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard, that's what's hard about the debate. It's hard to, it's hard to go against what you're saying, man, because, like, I, I can see why Anderson Silva is your right. number one. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I don't know, man. Like, I just know John, I know Jones, I know Jones will continue. And yes, I watched, we, we both watched those fights, you know what I mean? In the same places at the same time, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Because, like, Ray has really put him working on Jones. Oh, yeah. And um, I honestly think that fight, you could make a better argument that he should have lost that fight than the first Gustafson fight. I, 
I didn't know where it was going. I'll be honest with you. I thought I thought Reyes would might have took it. You and know? and I I do think that Jones won the fight against Tiago Santos. I think it was razor close, three rounds to two. But yeah, I do think Jones won that fight. And the one thing I will say in John Jones's benefit is, I don't think he's the best fighter of all time, but he is the most talented fighter I have ever seen in my life. The natural ability that he has. He's just, he's so long, knows how to use that reach. He uses his long frame for some amazing wrestling and submissions. Like he, he is, his talent is unquestioned. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, Anderson, dude, Anderson Silva and John Jones will be hard to, to be topped, you know what I mean, based off of what they've done. You know what I mean? Anderson mm-hmm. Silva will always have a spot in, in anyone's top ten, I feel like, because how amazing he is, you know? And that's the biggest, the, the single greatest regret I have as a fan. You know, there's all these super fights that we, we like to talk about what could have happened if Brock Lesnar fought Fade or Cain Velasquez fought Fade or, or th- things like that. The fight that we should have saw that we never did, what would have been the outcome of GSP versus Anderson Silva oh, in, gosh. In, in, in their primes? Oh gosh, dude, who knows? You know, that's uh, I think Anderson Silva would have won that fight. I do too, I do too. Even though Silva, he, he, historically in his fights, he did not dominate wrestlers the way he did, and and that just goes to show. I always tell you every time. Uh, I, I watch a jiu-jitsu guy fight a, a wrestler. Uh, wrestlers are a jiu-jitsu guy's worst nightmare. Like, the, uh, a lot of jiu-jitsu guys feel comfortable fighting off their back, but I would not, as a jiu-jitsu guy, I would not want a wrestler on top of me because they're just going to swarm you. They're, they're constantly moving, applying that pressure. It's just, it's a, it's a nightmare. And Chael Sonnen executed that perfectly against Anderson Silva. Yeah, he did. Dan Henderson... Henderson uh, fought a perfect first round. You know, he was the first guy to ever uh, take a round from Silva, and it's because he went to his wrestling. But when he steered away from that is when Silva was able to take his back and lock in that rear naked choke. But, right. yeah, man, we, we, we've been very fortunate to see some great fighters in our in our lifetime. And Oh, yeah, there's nothing like it, man. It's, it's definitely what's made, you know what I mean, um, the UFC and just MMA as a sport as a whole, you know what I mean, what it is today, man. We go out to see the... The best of the best, I feel like. I mean, the fights, you know what I mean? 20, 2020 had amazing fights oh. all throughout the year. You know what I'm saying? Recently, all the fights have been amazing. Like, don't get it messed up. I'm, like, super happy to continue to watch it grow and, and be made of what it is and watch the new up-and-comers come up because they just keep getting better and better. But we got to watch the era of where it was like, this is classic. You know what I mean? It was classic, and it'll always be classic, you know? Yeah. The, the original Zufa era of UFC was just, it, it, it's, I, I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. And at no fault of the UFC's own, you know, MMA has become such a huge growing sport that you have to adapt to what, what times are. So right. they're, they're mainstream now. But the most fun I had growing up was when, y- you remember it, when, they first started those fight nights on Spike TV yep. and the first fight of a preliminary of the preliminary card, you're like, 
oh, hey, I know those guys. I remember what, you know, it was easy to follow every fighter in the UFC. Now, though, last night, you, for common fans, even for a lot of diehards like myself, there's a lot of fighters that I'll be like, I can't remember ever seeing this guy fight. You know, it, it's right. a lot harder to stay completely intact with everything. But, man, it, 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 it's been cool as a fan since the beginning to watch it grow from where they were fighting in in basically uh, high school gyms to now they're selling out huge arenas. You know, remember uh, the home uh, Rousey fight? That was like a hundred thousand people there. Yeah. The the getting as a fan to watch that sport this sport grow. It, there's nothing like it. Uh, well, before we let you go, Joey, uh, folks at home, for those of you who don't know, Joey D is responsible for the show's music. Uh, he was generous enough to uh, volunteer his time to make us some really cool music. How long have you been doing music, Joey? Um, yeah, the, the, the intro, the introduction to, to the podcast, man. It's, it's cool to be, it's cool to be a part of things like that, you know, um, especially for my friends who are just doing things that they love. You know, you've, me, me and Tommy, we've been, you know, we've been friends for a long time and, uh, and I know that he's talked about this, and this has been something that he's wanted to do for a long time. And I've also been chasing, you know, my aspirations and my dreams in music. So to be able to supply the intro, intro beat and, and everything, just a little introduction to his show is cool. Um, I've been doing music. I mean, I can honestly say I've been honestly doing music the last like seven years. But I mean, I've been, I've been, I've been always writing music. It's, it's basically been my whole life, you know, ever since. It's it's always just been something I'm interested I'm interested in you know what I'm saying like Tommy Tommy's things is is his thing is sports and and my thing is music you know that's something that I'm a connoisseur of and something that I'm just really knowledgeable of and and I love making music um, yeah man so it's, it was I I appreciate it for the fact that you know we, we we get to grow off of the things that we do in life and. Hopefully this is something that we can talk about later on down the road, you know what I mean, in our in our endeavors and our successes. And, you know, I get to shout out, hey, man, like, you know, my boy's got the podcast or, or whatever. You look back on, I'll look back on this and, um, you know, I hope I hope to be a part of more. But, yeah, um, just a shameless plug, man. I would just I would just plug in my YouTube. You know, my YouTube is uh, Joey D official, J-O-E-Y-D-E-E. O F F I C I A L. Um, if you type in Joey D official all in one, click the you know click the search button and uh, you'll see me pop up and you can subscribe and click the notification to be notified anytime I drop something new. And uh, Spotify and Apple Music, it's just Joey D one word J O E Y D E E. And um, man, I'm just really grateful to be a part of this. You know, it's, uh, it's I know that you've been pushing to make this happen and. For the fact that I get to be a part of it, man, it's it's kind of just a blessing in disguise. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I love I love the fact that it's it's just up and running, and uh, but it's it's also not it's this it's it's not like some generic thing. You know what I'm saying? Like this is something that obviously we're both passionate about. You know what I mean? We love watching this stuff, and regardless of what the list said, man, like we you know we we got to point out a lot of good things, and you know I think at the end of the day we're fight fans. Yeah, we're just fans, man. You know, we're hardcore fans and. Um, anybody who knows sports like Tommy does, like, 
or is interested in sports in general, like I know they can tune into this podcast and, and get a lot out of it. Not only get a lot out of it, but just enjoy listening to it based off of what's said. So I appreciate you letting me be a part of it, my brother. Right on, man. I appreciate you. And again, please give this man a follow on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Music, or all three. He's always putting out really good, high-quality content that I always enjoy listening to. Again, thank you, Joey, for joining us. Thank you, my brother. And that's going to do it for today. I want to thank Ryan so much again for coming on and talking about the Bucks Super Bowl win. I want to thank Joey D so much for coming on and talking some UFC with us. And I want to thank you all for tuning in, making us a part of your day. Don't forget to please follow us on Facebook and Spotify. And don't forget to tune in next week. We're going to be talking a lot of NBA. I'm going to give you my latest power rankings. And we're going to talk about what's going right for some teams and what's going very wrong for others. Thank you so much for tuning in to Let's Talk Sports with Tommy P. We'll see you next time.